tranquillement et tout doucement. Donc, bonsoir mesdames et messieurs, je suis bienvenue dans cette deuxième édition des Spaces Internationaux. Euh, nous sommes animatrices, donc moi, Anise Boquet, Dopaminergique 13 et le docteur Tiffen Pinsol. Donc, pour me présenter rapidement, euh, je m'appelle Anise Boquet, je suis PhD en biologie spécialisée en immunologie. Euh, J'ai passé ma thèse en 2012 et je suis enseignante en hématologie immunologie dans des écoles privées d'enseignement supérieur, donc après le lycée. Je n'ai aucun conflit d'intérêt, que ce soit financier, personnel ou professionnel. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second edition of the International Space Network. We are the hosts, myself, Annelise Boquet, Dopaminagic 13, and uh, Dr. Tiffany Pinsol, or Tiffany Pinsol. To quickly introduce myself, so my name is Annelise Boquet, PhD in biology, specialized in immunology. I passed my thesis in uh, 2012, and I teach hematology, immunology in higher private school, after high school, th that is. I have no financial, personal, or professional conflicts of interests. Then, je passe la parole à Dopaminergique pour qu'elle puisse se présenter, et ensuite après, ce sera donc à notre cher ami, le Dr. Pinsol. So, please. Uh, dopaminergique, antifan, je vais me présenter en français d'abord. Donc, euh, je suis euh, chercheur en rythme circadien et en physiologie du burn-out chez les médecins et chez les personnels qui ont un, qui ont des shifts, euh, c'est-à-dire des, des rythmes de travail et de vie qui leur, qui les fait travailler la nuit. Je travaille euh, à la fois en recherche euh, appliquée et aussi euh, sur des, des applications technologiques pour euh, permettre de calculer les rythmes circadiens de manière automatique chez les pilotes, les militaires, etc. So my name is uh, Dopaminergic 13. I am a research scientist in um, uh, circadian rhythm and biology of burnout and physiology of burnout. I specialize is in circadian disorder, shift disorder in uh, pilots, the military, and also physician and hospitalist. I've been working in Asia for the past 15 years and uh, with colleagues in the, in the US and in Europe. Uh, I will be co-translating this space, uh, so please take care to give me enough time between what you say and uh, the fact that I'm not a UN chat GPT uh, computer uh, program. So thank you very much and welcome to the space. All right, folks, uh, uh, listening in, um, obviously it's a dual language uh, uh, space in French. And we'll see uh, if we can get in. Um, George Webb seems to be involved. So, uh, we're on the ground. <laughs> Charles should be in the chat. Oh. bioweapons. What about SARS-CoV-2? J'ai travaillé à la fois en recherche fondamentale, mais également en recherche clinique et dans l'industrie pharmaceutique. Je suis actuellement off du circuit du travail, puisque je suis atteinte de la maladie de Lyme. Je n'ai aucun conflit d'intérêt ou lien d'intérêt, qu'il soit personnel ou professionnel. Et voilà. So this is Dr. Tiffen Pinsol. She is a microbiologist and a bacteriologist specializing in bacterial resistance. 
she has worked both in uh, fundamental research and clinical research as well as collaboration with pharmaceutical industry. She is um, uh, not retired, but she is uh, off the mainstream um, uh, workout right now because she has uh, Lyme disease and she declares no conflict of interest. Je vais vite fait faire le. <rire> Je vais vite fait faire l'introduction du space. Donc moi en français, deux pas en anglais. Si tu veux bien, dopaminergique pour prendre la suite. Euh, donc fin 2019, début 2020, le monde panique. Il y a le SARS-CoV-2 qui se répand, mais il est alors inconnu. La maladie infectieuse induite par le virus est appelée COVID-19 et elle se traduit par un large éventail de manifestations cliniques allant de cas asymptomatiques à des formes graves pouvant mettre en jeu le pronostic vital. Les scientifiques et les médecins étudient le virus et ses mécanismes physiopathologiques. Cependant, l'une des clés pour comprendre ce pathogène est de savoir d'où il provient. Pendant longtemps, il fut classé en tant que zoonose, avant que cette origine ne soit remise en question. En effet, une protéine virale a attiré l'attention de la communauté scientifique, la spike, et du fait de sa structure et de ses propriétés, il est possible de douter de son origine zoonotique. En parallèle des informations concernant le laboratoire P4 situé à Wuhan en Chine, fuite sur les réseaux et dans les médias alternatifs. Censure oblige. Alors, quels éléments de réponse avons-nous au niveau scientifique pour envisager l'origine laborantine du SARS-CoV-2 S'agit-il d'une arme biologique ou d'un DURC, c'est-à-dire un Dual Use Research Concern ou recherche à double usage Ou est-ce une expérience qui a mal tourné De pas, s'il te plaît. Sorry, it's a mic, uh, mic issue, bear with me. Uh, so in late uh, 2019, early 2020, the world is in a panic, um, or panic mode, SARS-CoV-2 is spreading, but the virus at the time is unknown. The infectious disease induced by the virus is known as COVID-19 and results in a wide range of clinical manifestations from asymptomatic cases to severe life-threatening forms. Scientists and physicians are studying the virus and its pathophysiological mechanism. However, one of the keys to fully understand this pathogen is to know where it came from. For a long time, it was classified as, as zoonosis until the origin was challenged. Indeed, the viral protein, the spike protein, uh, has attracted the attention of sci the scientific community and its structure and properties cast doubt on its zoonotic origin. At the same time, information about the P4 lab uh, in Wuhan, uh, China, were le leaked on, on the uh, social media uh, and the alternative channels of news, censorship being in, in the order of the day. So what scientific clues do we have to support the idea that SARS-CoV-2 originated in a laboratory? It is, a biological, is it a biological weapon or a DURC, dual-use research uh, concern? Is it an experiment gone wrong? So these are the questions that we will be tackling tonight. Yes. Et en réponse à cette pandémie, en fait, on a des campagnes de vaccination massive qui sont basées sur cette protéine toxique virale, euh, la spike, euh, qui fut entreprise de par le monde. En somme, il fut demandé à notre organisme de produire cette spike via des transfections d'ARN messagers modifiés. Cependant, le virus a muté. Les variants de la lignée Omicron sont apparus et ont supplanté tous les autres variants. La protéine Spike présente quelques 30 mutations, ce qui lui permet d'échapper aux défenses immunitaires induites, soit par une infection antérieure, soit par ces fameuses campagnes de vaccination. Mais là aussi, d'autres questions scientifiques se posent. Omicron est-il issu d'une mutation naturelle, d'une zoonose ou d'un laboratoire Donc, euh, 
what are they saying well they're talking about uh the controversies around the spike protein the virus itself um what evidence do we have for um lab origin versus zoonotic etc etc omicron variants appeared and supplemented all other variants at the time the spike protein has some 30 mutations enabling it to evade immune defenses induced either by uh, infection, previous infection, or by those uh, famous vaccination campaign. But here, too, other scientific question arise. Is Omicron the result of a natural mutation, a zoonosis, or a laboratory experiment? Et s'il est possible d'envisager une origine laborantine d'Omicron, pourquoi fut-il libéré dans la population? Ah, cela soulève d'autres questions. Pourquoi des recherches sur les GOF, donc les gains de fonction, sont faites? Qui finance? Quels sont les enjeux stratégiques, politiques et militaires Pourquoi la Chine Etc. Autant de questions à la fois scientifiques et plus générales avec des aspects financiers et géopolitiques auxquels il faut des réponses. And if Omicron really came from a laboratory, what was the release um, into uh, the population? What was the purpose of that? This raises other questions, like why gain-of-function research is being carried out? Who pays for it? What are the strategic, political and military stakes? Uh, why China, etc. So many questions, both scientific and more general, uh, or, or more general questions, with uh, financial and geopolitical aspects to which we need answers. Et pour cela, nous accueillons ce soir le Dr. Valentin Brutel et le journaliste George Webb. Mais avant de leur donner la parole, voici quelques règles pour le bon déroulement du space. Donc les questions seront posées deux fois, une fois en anglais, une fois en français. Un seul auditeur à la fois peut être orateur. Euh, les questions doivent être précises et concises. Dopaminergique 13 traduira directement les questions soit du français vers l'anglais, soit de l'anglais vers le français. Euh, Pouvez-vous, chers invités, répondre en parlant doucement pour permettre à notre traductrice en chef, Dopaminergique 13, de prendre des notes et de traduire le discours le plus fidèlement possible Et pour nos auditeurs francophones, pas de crainte, à la fin de l'échange, donc notre traductrice dopaminergique fera un bref résumé afin que tout le monde puisse comprendre exactement ce qui a été dit. So to this aim, we have invited Dr. Valentin Brutel and uh, Mr. George Webb, a journalist. Um, but before we start, uh, we give them the floor and we start with this space proper. Here are some uh, few rules uh, for the smooth running of the space. So in terms of questions, uh, as Annie said in French, uh, the questions will be asked uh, twice, one, in, one time in French and one time in English. Uh, only one uh, speaker at a time, as, as it's easier for a translation and understanding. The questions should be precise and concise. I will attempt to translate as best I can, since this is not also my primary uh, job, but um, in uh, so doing, please bear in mind the fact that you need to give me enough time for me to take notes and translate as um, adequately as I can uh, the content of what you're saying. Um, I think I covered pretty much, uh, and then just introduce yourself uh, briefly. I think this is where we are right now. Thank you. So uh, now, um, um, nous allons demander à nos intervenants de se présenter rapidement et de spécifier s'ils ont d'éventuels conflits d'intérêts qui peuvent influencer leur discours. Donc, euh, on va commencer par le docteur Valentin Brutel, puis ensuite par le, euh, je, par le monsieur, donc Georges Webb, euh, journaliste de son État. Merci beaucoup. Je suis un euh, journaliste euh, américain avec euh, une 
mauvais, très mauvais accent, but I will speak in English. Um, uh, the reason I'm here is because a, uh, an une idée excellente, an excellent idea uh, by uh, Dr. Valentin. Um, I call it the paper doll, uh, le papier de papier, I believe in français. The paper doll is the restriction enzymes and the exact spacing, exactement uh, entre segments, between the segments. So the way it works is if I want to doctor a virus, I will, the telltale sign, have exact segments, exact spacing especially, spots between the segments, telltale sign of doctoring. Uh, and Dr. Vel uh, Brutel and Alex uh, Washburn did was this telltale analysis. They uh, tied it to a presentation proposal made uh, by uh, to DARPA uh, from EcoHealth Alliance that was a proposal to use the exact same restriction enzymes and the exact same spacing, this paper doll repetition that's only found in a lab engineered. This is the new evidence, this is the new proof, uh, and this is their, what they call endonuclease, uh, uh, endonuclease telltale sign inside the editing of the, of the genome of the COVID uh, spike. Um, so you may have heard about the proposals that the EcoHealth Health Alliance made to do exactly this. You may have heard about the cover-up that EcoHealth Alliance did. You may have heard about the Fauci meeting with Jeremy Farrar of the WHO. Uh, all this cover-up because of this smoking gun. Uh, je ne sais pas le mot, la phrase en français pour smoking gun, but there you have it. Okay, I'll try to, <laughs> je vais essayer de vous traduire ce qu'il a dit. Donc en fait, il parle du papier dont le docteur Mutel va parler, qu'il a écrit avec Alex Wishburn, et que ce papier qui est en fait un signal, on va dire, représentatif, qui correspond à une présentation qui avait été faite auprès de DARPA par EcoHealth Alliance. Donc EcoHealth Alliance se conduit du NIID pour, pour financer un certain nombre d'activités, entre autres en Chine. Et qu'en en fait, dans ce papier-là, il présentait cette enzyme et ce, ce mode de docking, donc qui nous sera expliqué plus tard, et qui est en fait un, un signe, un drapeau rouge, on va, on va dire en quelque sorte. Because I don't think in French there is the equivalent of the smoking gun, but uh, the red flag is a, is a pretty good analogy. Um, et que donc le, le, ce drapeau rouge indique effectivement que quelque chose d'assez compliqué s'est passé et que c'est un signe d'édition en fait du génome du, du SARS-CoV-2. Et donc euh, voilà ce que, ce que euh, M. Webb vient de dire. Uh, Dr. Valentin Bruitel, if you can introduce yourself briefly and just let us know if you have any potential conflict of interest that could influence your perspective. Uh, so can you hear me? Yes, really good. Not that good. Mostly in developing therapeutics for autoimmune diseases for the last 10 years, pretty much. Um, and there we we have to manipulate DNA. Uh, we have to use enzymes. They're very similar 
to enzymes that are also used to make um, synthetic viruses. So this is how I got into virology. I'm not a virologist. I'm not an expert on how different viruses are related to each other, but I have a years, um, more than a decade of experience in how the molecular techniques work, what is done, how you design DNA constructs. And this is a very essential part in, in this fairly new field of synthetic virology, uh, of which many virologists, I think, don't understand that much. I don't have any conflicts of interest, really. I published this paper, so I think it's kind of clear that I'm very concerned about this type of research, um, but I've never received any financial compensation, and I'm also not having any projects, any collaborations. I don't know anybody involved in this kind of work. So this is uh, Dr. Valentin Brutel. He is a PhD oh. in immunology and molecular medicine. He has been... Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, this is uh, uh, a directional issue. I'll start over. Uh, C'est le Dr. Valentin uh, Brutel qui travaille... Donc, qui est PhD en immunologie, qui travaille sur les, uh, les thérapies depuis 10 ans et en médecine moléculaire également. Il est spécialisé dans la manipulation de l'ADN par les enzymes et les virus synthétiques. Il n'est pas virologiste, mais, mais virologue, pardon, mais il est, il est très expert dans ce domaine et il a des années d'expérience sur les vaccins, les, les virus synthétiques et la manipulation moléculaire de l'ADN. Il n'a pas, de, il déclare aucun conflit d'intérêt. Il n'a pas de, il a publié donc ce papier parce qu'il est très préoccupé par ce sujet et il ne prend aucune compensation ou argent des de groupes pharmaceutiques ou d'autres instituts de, de recherche. Merci beaucoup, euh, Depa. Je vais, on, on va commencer euh, avec justement le docteur Brutel. We will start with uh, Dr. Brutel, if you, if you want. Um, Chers collègues, j'ai lu votre article coécrit avec le docteur Alex Washburn et le docteur Antonius euh, Van Dongen, avec beaucoup d'intérêt. Donc, il s'intitule L'empreinte de l'endonucléase indique une origine synthétique du SARS-CoV-2. Ça, c'est son titre. Donc vous annoncez la couleur directement dès l'introduction, euh, enfin dès le titre. Pouvez-vous euh, faire un bref résumé de vos travaux de façon simplifiée pour que les gens puissent comprendre comment et pourquoi, d'après vous, le SARS-CoV-2 est d'origine d'abondantine So could you make a quick uh, and, and simplified in introduction to the, the paper that you wrote so that people understand how the SARS-CoV-2 could be a virus uh, generated in a laboratory. Sure. So um, basically, we took the approach of looking at papers that were published by the Wuhan Institute of Virology and other people involved in um, the diffuse proposal that was introduced before, uh, basically an application to introduce furin cleavage sites into uh, bad viruses in Wuhan, um, which basically perfectly fits SARS-CoV-2. And um, we then focused on enzymes that were used to this end before. And the big challenge there is that these viruses are have a fairly big genome of 30,000 base pairs. And it's too big to handle or to produce in a lab. So you have to produce these viruses in small parts, in small DNA parts, which are then kind of glued together. And to do that, 
they always use a very specific kind of enzyme that leaves different sticky ends, different cluing sites or stitching sites that make sure that all the viral parts of the viral genome are rearranged in the correct order. Uh, so basically, this was our pro approach to check if SARS-CoV-2 has a, this very typical pattern that is found in, in almost all synthetic viruses produced by them before. And yeah, that's what we did. We, we kind of found that pattern. And then we did further tests to, uh, to investigate if it's uh, just randomly emerging or if it's uh, manipulated. Donc, euh, ce qui a été fait, c'est qu'ils ont regardé donc, le, la, la proposition Diffuse euh, qui, euh, qui, qui parlait donc, du SARS-CoV-2 et qui parlait bien sûr de ce, de ce clivage furin, de ce site de clivage furin. Et donc, ils se sont euh, attelés à trouver dans, dans, le, dans les, les, les paires d'enzymes qui sont très grandes, donc ce sont des virus très grands. Sont, ils ont découvert donc pour, euh, pour euh, assembler ces virus-là ou les assembler correctement au laboratoire, il faut utiliser une enzyme particulière. Et donc, en fait, cette, cette enzyme, elle, elle indique peut-être une, 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 un assemblage ou un réassemblage en laboratoire. Et donc, à partir de ça, ils ont essayé de trouver ce, ce, ce pattern, on va dire, ce, ce, ce modèle dans cette enzyme-là. Et ils ont testé ça et ça fait le sujet du, du papier qu'ils ont écrit. Euh, nous avons un intervenant euh, euh, qui est monté, donc le docteur Kevin euh, McCairn. Euh, je pense que c'est son nom. Euh, George Webb, euh, Kevin McCairn. Si vous pouviez simplement laisser d'abord George Webb poser sa question au docteur Bretel et puis ensuite après d'intervenir, ce serait très gentil de votre part. Merci beaucoup. Ok, docteur, docteur, vous avez un paper which talked about the exact spacing uh, because the segments, if I'm going to uh, put a piece of, of RNA into this uh, 30,000 base pair COVID, I first need to convert it to a DNA, uh, and then I can start using the old uh, the, the DNA tools for uh, transfecting this into the genome. But the problem becomes Uh, when the segment is too long, especially when you're trying to edit it, it becomes fragile. So you need to divide the transplantation uh, uh, thing that you are working with into segments. And those segments uh, need to be usually five or six or seven, sometimes eight segments, so that you can uniformly put these into the uh, part of the genome, let's say the regional binding domain which is, I believe, your paper found that they did this in the regional binding domain, the key area of the uh, lock and key interaction of the molecule. And that exact spacing is a telltale sign. I call it the paper doll uh, syndrome or the paper doll effect of a engineered uh, placement or an engineered transfection versus a random transfection that nature might do. Is that an, a fair appraisal of your paper along with Alex Washburn? Uh, yeah, yeah, very, very precise. And then for, we had for, new, for the new French, uh, almost you play uh, the French. Yes. Okay. So yeah, bear in mind that you're using a lot of technical terms. So I have to, and I'm familiar with them in English, but I'm less familiar with, with them in French, right? So I'll try my best, but uh, I, I may have to be corrected either by Tiffany or by uh, Anise on the specific terms. Euh, donc le, le papier euh, dont, euh, dont George Webb parle, euh, 
c'est un papier donc, qui explique euh, effectivement que le problème est la, la segmentation d'un virus qui est très long et que donc il, a été, il doit être divisé en plusieurs segments, quelquefois 5, quelquefois 6, quelquefois 7 segments euh, euh, séparés euh, pour qu'on puisse le, le remettre dans le... Alors, euh, RBD en français, c'est quoi, Anise C'est ça en français, moi je ne connais pas le terme. En français. RBD, c'est le RBD le domaine, oui, RBD. le domaine RBD, mais donc c'est la même chose qu'en anglais en fait. Ça va, être, ça va être compréhensible pour l'audience française, d'accord. Et donc cet espace est en fait un, une trace, on va dire un signal d'ingénierie, euh, plutôt que de quelque chose qui serait naturel. Voilà la question qui a été posée. Et le docteur, et le docteur Valentin a répondu en, en disant que c'était une... C'était exact et que, fait, effectivement, c'était une, une réponse succincte et exacte. OK, docteur, now that's your turn. <rire> Kevin McCann, euh, Valentin, euh, docteur Brutel, si vous voulez interagir, n'hésitez surtout pas, allez-y. Euh, oui, euh, bonjour, euh, je m'appelle euh, Kevin McCann, euh, je suis... J'ai fait mon thèse en France euh, 21 avant. Euh, je suis un euh, docteur de neurosciences euh, de cerveau. Um, that's about as good as my French. Um, Excellent. <laughs> uh, I would first, of course, like to congratulate the authors on this work. I think um, it was a... Uh, standout piece of research, particularly in such a censorious and um, hostile environment for those of us that um, are interested in synthetic origin of SARS. Um, I have one question, and it was perhaps to answer some of the rebuttals that came from Uh, the zoonosis side, and I wonder if the authors would mind um, addressing some of those. And I remember off the top of my head that some of, some of the clustering with respect to the distance of the restriction sites was similar to um, other claimed natural viruses. Um, I'd be interested to hear what they have to say about that. Donc, euh, le docteur euh, Kevin McCarla a félicité euh, le docteur Valentin pour son papier, enfin, c'est leur papier, puisqu'il n'est pas le seul auteur, euh, qui est un papier très important dans le, dans le contexte de censure et le, con le contexte hostile de recherche dans lequel nous nous trouvons. Et donc, il lui pose une question sur, euh, si j'ai bien compris, sur le clustering. Euh, euh, peut-être qu'avec la, peut qu la réponse j'aurai un petit peu plus d'informations qu'avec la question donc je vais attendre que la réponse soit faite pour vous, pour vous informer un petit peu plus Could you answer please Dr. Poutel Did we lose the place Yes uh... Yeah, maybe... Il a peut-être un problème de micro. Can you speak just a little bit? Yeah. Est-ce que tu peux lui dire simplement? Euh, je, je vais le refaire descendre et je vais le refaire. Ouais, je pense que c'est ce qui est mieux. 
peux juste le lui dire. Hello? Uh, yes, now it's working. Yes. Okay. Did you have a I was using AirPods and I think the battery went out or something. I have to switch on the mic now, but I think it should work. Um, yes, so basically, um, the what what you do when you want to make a synthetic viruses that you always what they always did is that they were looking for a natural template yeah so they didn't make up a complete virus they were looking at one that was already there and potentially interesting meaning it could maybe cause some danger in humans and then the question was how many changes do they need to introduce to make this uh, become uh, pandemic. So how close is that virus to causing a pandemic? Um, and to do that very efficiently, according to their uh, research proposal, they wanted to modify two areas in the virus, introducing a furin cleavage site or other fully basic furin uh, cleavage sites and modify the receptor binding domain. So that domain that basically sticks the virus to the human cell and choose uh, domains there that have a very high affinity, so very efficient at infecting human cells that have the, the receptor AC2. Um, and to do that, basically, they always before introduce these um, cleavage sites for these endonucleases. And in this particular case, um, the cleavage sites are also found in some viruses that are that are said to be natural or they don't have this pattern that's very typical of synthetic virus that we see in SARS-CoV-2. Um, but the issue here is that all of these viruses were published like from Chinese labs. They were never seen outside of China and they were published after the pandemic. Yeah. So it's very easy to would have been very easy for them to manipulate, just say, okay, this is the sequence and we used up all the material, we can't give you anything. Um, and the other issue is that this was a important observation to have this pattern that is very typical of synthetic viruses, but it's not completely impossible that this could emerge randomly. We made a second observation and that is to make these um, uh, restriction sites you have to mutate the DNA sequence at this step that's also then seen in the RNA sequence. And you always use synonymous mutations there. You only want to change the RNA or DNA sequence. You don't want to change the viral protein. Yeah? Mm. Um, so, and when, whenever they changed other natural viruses, they would only introduce maybe like 10 15 synonymous mutations <clears throat> to get these recognition sequences of the enzymes that cut this huge genome in, in exactly these fragments so that you can assemble them. And the second observation that we made is that there's a huge increase of frequencies 
uh, of mutation frequencies exactly in these stitching sites. And that is the point that none of the varages could really, really address. So if we look only at the pattern part and we say, okay, China wouldn't lie, everything they publish, we trust all of that. A lot of other issues with these viruses that were published from Chinese labs afterwards. So for example, they said this was from a guano example from bats, but it didn't contain any of the typical bacteria that are in guano usually. So a lot of things were not mentioned. They said they sequenced, for example, RATG13 um, after they had sequenced SARS-CoV-2. Sorry, but, uh, uh, sorry. Can you just hold on because it's a huge <laughs> amount of information to translate. So, uh, yes. if you can just bear with me for for a minute. Um, donc, ce dont il a parlé au début, c'est donc le, le, le clustering. Et il, a, il a expliqué que quand on veut mettre un, quand on veut enfin, quand, quand on veut alterner un virus synthétique, euh, il, il faut euh, pendant une Attendez, je vais relire mes, mes, mes notes. Pour le faire efficacement, il faut qu'il y ait euh, une modification euh, sur le, le, le site de euh, Friend Cleavage Site. En, en français, euh, Annelise, ça donne quoi euh, le, furin, le, 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 le site de clivage du furin, c'est ça Oui, le site, le site de clivage furine, c'est vrai. Et tout voilà, voilà. Et, le, et le RBD et donc, il faut choisir un domaine euh, avec euh, beaucoup plus d'efficacité de, que celui de que, que celui qui est enfin que celui qui, est, qui était là. Et donc, ils ont pris le le, le S2 qui est beaucoup plus euh, qui a beaucoup plus d'affinité avec euh, avec les, les êtres humains et pour faciliter donc la, la, entre guillemets la déclaration d'une pandémie. Ils ont introduit donc euh, euh, un site de clivage. Euh, qui est aussi alors le paradoxe c'est ça, ça pouvait exister aussi dans des dans des virus naturels et que donc la, le paradoxe c'était d'expliquer comment euh, il était possible qu'il existe euh, quelque chose qui soit totalement synthétique bien que dans quelques cas euh, ça peut aussi euh, exister dans les virus euh, naturels en plus il faut savoir que la plupart euh, de ce qui a été publié a été publié donc euh, en Chine et c'était des, des séquences qui provenaient euh, qui ont été publiées après la pandémie et donc, en fait, il fallait, il fallait essayer de voir si c'était euh, si authentique euh, et honnête ou pas. Euh, et que donc, euh, les, les, il, il a parlé de, des changements qui, qui pouvaient aller jusqu'à jusqu 10 mutations. Et que dans beaucoup de virus naturels, on pouvait, on pouvait trouver donc un certain nombre de patterns qui étaient assez semblables, mais euh, peut-être pas avec autant de mutations sur, ce, sur ces sites-là en particulier. Je, je rajoute juste parce que on est, on est peut-être parfois on va peut-être un peu vite pour les non scientifiques qui nous écoutent. Euh, le RBD, le RBD, c'est le récepteur binding domain. Donc en fait c'est le domaine de liaison au récepteur. Voilà, c'est une région cruciale en fait pour euh, l'attachement euh, enfin, du virus euh, aux cellules. Donc le fait qu'il y ait autant de mutations sur un domaine qui est aussi euh, pointu, euh, RBD, ça remet en cause quand même beaucoup, ça, ça pose quand même beaucoup de questions. Euh, Est-ce que Dopa, tu peux traduire cela, s'il te plaît On uh, so, yeah, the, the, the fact, so Anise is saying the fact that the, the mutation are around this particular site is, is uh, a very questionable uh, event, and then she's, she's wondering whether you, you have a view on that. 
Yeah. So basically, we provided two arguments in our paper. One of the basically, yeah, the two important ones. One is that we see this pattern. The distances are typical for a synthetic virus. It's also ideal to change the furin cleavage site or test different receptor binding commands. And now there's like some leaked um, intel from, from US Secret Services in the news recently that said that they were really introducing different furin cleavage sites and making several variants for which this pattern is ideal. And the second argument, so to have this pattern randomly, it's like one in a hundred chance. Yeah? But to have as many of these synonymous mutations in these restriction sites, as we see here, is like a one in a hundred million chance. So this was the second argument. And basically all the people that criticized us only focused on the first argument and said, we have, but we have a virus here that was published from China later, and that has also uh, similar restriction sites. So maybe these three, four viruses all combined and, um, Therefore, this pattern emerged in a natural way. But this is not at all answering the second observation or explaining the second observation, which is that there's a huge increase of these uh, mutations in exactly these tiny fragments of the DNA. Donc, les, les deux arguments qu'ils qui, qui ont proposés, et en fait, les, les, les propositions sur la zone haute se sont focalisées sur le premier. Can you mute your mic if you have your mic open? Can you meet your mic, brother? Donc, je, je répète, donc, les, les deux arguments qu'ils ont proposés et qui ont, euh, qui ont, par, par rapport à leur critique sur le, les zoonotes, c'est qu'ils ont proposé d'abord que le fait que, un, effectivement, l'existence le, le, de, de ce pattern qu'ils ont trouvé euh, est possible dans, dans la nature avec un, une fréquence statistique d'une fois sur 100, en gros, mais que par contre, le nombre de mutations qui était aussi présente. Alors par contre, là, statistiquement, c'est 1 sur, sur 1 million. Et que donc, en fait, les, les critiques de, leur, de leurs arguments se sont focalisées sur la première partie de l'argument et pas la seconde. Là, statistiquement, c'est 1 sur, sur 1 million. Et que donc, en fait, les, les critiques de, leur, de leurs arguments se sont focalisées sur la première partie de l'argument et pas la seconde. Et donc, c'est ce qu'il a expliqué juste maintenant. J'ai pu, j'ai dû, ah. tranquillement, doucement, je ne vois pas forcément toutes les demandes. Donc, euh, si vous pouvez simplement euh, attendre euh, un auditeur à la fois monter en intervenant, poser les questions, puis ensuite redescendre en auditeur, pour que je puisse euh, avoir une liste euh, en face de moi un peu plus, euh, un peu plus simple. Est-ce que tu peux te rendre, s'il te plaît, euh, Dopa, s'il te plaît So, uh, Annelise is uh, experiencing some technical problems, so what she's asking is, uh, anybody that has a question, uh, please come up and ask your questions, and then if it's all right with you, we'll bring you back down as a listener rather than a speaker, so that it's easier for us to manage this. Thank you. Can I... Um just ask one quick question whilst the format is changing uh, for Dr. Brutel. Um, have you noticed any correlation with restriction sites compared to, there are a number of um, epitopes 
and reading frames of concern. Um, in particular, uh, the what have been identified by Hammerstrom and Nystrom as uh, amyloidogenic um, sequences. And also, if you had um, seen anything or have any comments about open reading frame 10, that seems to be a unique sequence to SARS-CoV-2. Um, that's my question. Anis, tu, tu peux m'aider avec ça, s'il te plaît, la question qu'il a posée c'est les termes, c'est les termes. Il, il pose une question sur la corrélation qui, les, qui existe entre les, les sites de restriction et le nombre d'épitopes euh, et, 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 et de séquences amyloïdes euh, qui sont sur ces, sur ces épitopes. Donc j'espère que j'ai bien traduit, mais c'est extrêmement technique. Oui, c'est ça. ça. En fait, c'est ce que j'expliquais. En fait, l'aspect a des propriétés amyloïdes. Et il y a certaines parties, en fait, de, 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 des épitopes de la spike qui sont amyloïdes. Euh, et donc, c'est la question, si j'ai bien compris ce que le, Kevin, le docteur Kevin McCann posait euh, par, rapport au, euh, par rapport au docteur Valentin Bretel. Tu peux traduire en anglais ou en directement, hein, si tu veux. Mais, ça, mais je pense que ça y est, là. Yeah, so, Dr. Bretel, you may, you may answer slowly. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Yes, um, unfortunately, I am I'm not familiar with the the amyloid function of that um, um, that you're referring to. I was mostly focusing on uh, things that they mentioned in the diffuse proposal and that we were they were looking into in previous work with synthetic viruses and to see if we see any signatures of that. Um, And regarding the second question, I think the ORF-10 is also present, for example, in Banal-52 and Reggie-13. So it's a bit particular about SARS-CoV-2, but it's also there in some other viruses that have been found by teams outside of China. So I am not sure if um, that is a very clear and strong indication that uh, this is a synthetic box. Are we not suspicious of the RATG13 and banal as being synthetic constructs, particularly as they came after um, SARS-CoV-2. I mean, um, I know, uh, the, is it Louis Pasteur Institute was certainly involved in pulling out this data. Um, maybe uh, coming from France, maybe you have some insight into how they're, um, well, How trustworthy are they, I guess? Donc la question que la réponse qu'a donné le docteur Valentin Bretel, c'est qu'il n'est pas spécialiste des propriétés amyloïdes. Par contre, ils se sont focalisés sur la proposition de diffuse et les signatures des virus synthétiques, en particulier des virus qui présentent aussi des signatures comme ça, comme RTG13 banal et donc euh, ils se sont plutôt focalisés là-dessus. Et la question que vient de poser le docteur McKenna, c'est est-ce que euh, RTG13 et banal euh, sont aussi euh, suspicieux que euh, les, les séquences qui, qui ont été trouvées et, et est-ce qu'on peut penser que euh, là aussi il y a des, il y a des suspicions d'ingénierie de, Donc il, il, il posait la question quant à la à la participation d'un laboratoire français euh, là-dessus. 
euh, plus précisément, c'était l'Institut Pasteur. L'Institut si Pasteur, oui. Oui, si j'ai bien compris ce que euh, le, le docteur Kevin McKernan a dit, je crois. Euh, donc, euh, oui, euh, docteur McKernan, est-ce que vous avez encore d'autres questions pour le docteur Bretel ou pour euh, euh, George Webb Please, uh, Kevin, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. McKernan, do you have any more questions uh, to ask to Dr. Brutel or George Webb? Uh, no. Um, yeah, I, I have one more question. Um, the uh, Alex um, had uh, Alex uh, Washburn had actually worked for DARPA in the United States. Uh, he had worked on the preempt project. So it really is rather striking that a DARPA scientist the one to uh, basically call out DARPA uh, and call out the engineering here uh, into the diffuse proposal and into uh, EcoHealth Alliance. Did you get any pushback? Uh, I know Alex, you know, took a lot of chances here in the United States at Montana State. Dr. Valentin, did you get any pushback from, from uh, your university or DARPA? Donc, ce que vient de dire George Webb, c'est que euh, Alex Wishman, qui est un des co-auteurs de, du papier dont on parle, avait travaillé pour DARPA, avait travaillé pour le projet Preempt. Et donc, euh, la question, euh, la question euh, posée par George Webb, c'est est-ce qu'il, à, à la suite de ça, est-ce qu'il a été interpellé d'une manière ou d'une autre euh, du fait de, la, de sa collaboration avec la, avec la, la proposition Question, euh, la question euh, posée par George Webb, c'est est-ce qu'il, à, à la suite de ça, est-ce qu'il a été interpellé d'une manière ou d'une autre euh, du fait de, la, de sa collaboration avec, la, avec la, la proposition Diffuse et le fait qu'il a dé, lui-même dénoncé les, les activités de, des projets d'ARPA et est-ce que le docteur Valentin Motel lui-même a, a subi des, des, des conséquences de, de, de ce papier présenté par, par les deux auteurs. Okay, um, so um, yeah, Alex had mentioned that he had he'd also worked in a bad project before, um, and I think he was fairly free to like just you know write from the back of his mind or what whatever he really believes because he's financially independent now and he was moving out of academia working for a startup at this point. Um, I think if you are in academia, it's a significant risk, especially in the US. We know that part of this work was funded by the NIH, um, and then a lot of labs just depend of, on NIH money. There was some involvement of um, Farrar and the Wellcome Trust, which is one of the biggest. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, the Wellcome Trust, which is one of the biggest funding agencies in, in, in England. Um, so I think for some scientists, they were kind of not not really daring to look into this because they were afraid of getting further funding for their labs. Um, I had also some very significant pushback here. Of, of course, there was a lot of virologists just declaring us to be stupid or kindergarten bio biologists, bioengineers. Um, that we don't have an idea what we talk about. A lot of insults. Um, and then also my own university basically wrote an assessment um, with two bi uh, virologists, one microbiologist. Again, 
no bioengineers, although this is like really advanced bioengineering, in which they basically also completely ignored our key point, yeah, the highly significantly increased frequency of these synonymous mutations. They didn't look at that at all. And then they found, of course, some some other points that you can you can do either way. Um, and they mentioned that, uh, for example, you see these restriction site patterns in a lot of related viruses. And we asked if they could, as, could give us an example. They refused to do that and just said, okay, this is our assessment. We have to live with that. So it's, it was quite disappointing to see that from your own institution as well, that, because this was just obviously a political thing and not a scientific process in which they were looking for mistakes and then they would explain what they criticize and then we would get a chance to improve the manuscript based on the criticism because they would at least explain to us in detail the errors they found. They didn't do that. Um, yeah. So if I, if I can translate that. Sure. Thanks. So uh, Alex uh, a travaillé, uh, donc avait travaillé, effectivement avait travaillé. Uh, si quelqu'un peut couper son micro. Merci. Euh, donc Alex avait travaillé donc effectivement avec euh, le projet d'ARPA, mais il avait quitté le, la, la situation académique et il n'avait pas d'intérêt financier relié puisqu'il était dans une start-up. Euh, donc, euh, il faut savoir que Dr. Valentin a expliqué qu'effectivement, euh, vu que le, les financements du NIH sont euh, énormes, avec d'énormes budgets, y compris euh, les financements reliés au Wellcome Trust, qui est un et Jérémy Farrar, qui est un, un énorme, euh, énorme source de, fond, de financement euh, au Royaume-Uni, et que donc euh, on pouvait s'attendre à, à quelques pushbacks de manière significative, euh, en particulier pour lui. Euh, la, son, son université a produit un, un je pense que c'est un rapport euh, et dans ce rapport qui a été fait par euh, des, des, des experts peut-être en virologie mais qui, qui n'étaient pas des experts en bioingénierie alors que c'est effectivement un sujet de bioingénierie et au lieu donc de, ils ont ignoré les deux points fondamentaux dont nous avons parlé avant et au lieu de se concentrer sur des exemples très spécifiques auxquels on pouvait donner des, des réponses scientifiques ça restait donc des attaques adominaires, des attaques essentiellement non scientifiques euh, et des attaques d'insultes et, et, et de, on va dire oui, adominaires, mais donc un, un environnement relativement politique plutôt qu'un environnement de réponse scientifique et de comportement scientifique par rapport à, une question, à des questions qu'ils avaient posées qui étaient excessivement scientifiques. Nous avons deux autres intervenants, donc Aosatonic, euh, euh, point live, et Charles euh, Rixet avec nous. Euh, le premier, je pense que si Aosatonic euh, a une question à poser, qu'il commence, puis ensuite Charles Rixet pourra poser aussi sa question, soit au docteur Brutel, soit à George Webb. So we have two other speakers tonight. Uh, House Atonic, Point Live, and then uh, Charles Rixet. Yes. So the first one, uh, I suggest that House Atonic, Point Live uh, ask uh, 
what you want to uh, Dr. Brittle or George Webb, then Charles uh, Rixey, please. Uh, thank you for the uh, microphone and the opportunity to speak. My name is Mark Kulak, and I have a show, Housatonic.live, and I live in the United States. I apologize. I'm an unsophisticated American who can only speak one language. Uh, the question is about hospital protocols and care for people who are diagnosed with the novel SARS-CoV-2 virus. I worked in the tech industry for over 20 years. Big companies like Dell and EMC Corporation. I have two US patents. I was a competitive analyst, software engineer. I've worked in a lot of machine code. So I've worked uh, with levels of, uh, of, of engineering design, network design, such that I can understand the concepts of packet switching, which are effectively represented by viruses. That said, much of the molecular biology, so all the letters and the numbers are, are, are lost on me, and I'm not going to be, you know, uh, tossing them around and throwing them back into people's cleavage sites. My question is about protocols. In the United States, we've had a great number of deaths. Probably most of the deaths have been the result of how people who have been diagnosed with this disease have died. In fact, a good point could be made that if we did not even know this virus was novel and just used existing protocols, there may have been no observable increase in overall mortality, aside from other things that were ongoing, such as the drug epidemic within the United States. Uh, today marks the death, uh, the anniversary, I should say the birthday, of a woman named Danielle, who was 27 when she died. She was an only child, disabled child, he was effectively murdered over the course of two months, being strapped down in a bed, given remdesivir, shot after shot. Eventually, you know, she's developing internal infections. And two weeks before she died, her lungs blew out. And then after two weeks of that pain, they ultimately killed her with fentanyl. This is not an uncommon story. Unfortunately, and my son died last April from a drug overdose, and we've had over 100,000, we've had 340,000 drug overdoses in the United States in three years. Those numbers were used to backfill flu deaths, which were reclassified as COVID deaths. Question is, while we have spent over, we are in fourth year right now of deep dive, complicated molecular biology discussions, while people are not getting any justice for the deaths of in their own family. Is it best to continue to deep dive on the details of molecular biology, which might actually yield no value whatsoever, when in reality, we could, we could stop the deaths that are still happening today by recognizing that it was the potentially just addressing the novelty of it, which was the biggest problem in the first place? That is my question, and thank you for the microphone. May I ask who you're asking this to? Is it to the general audience, or is it to somebody in particular? Oh, I thought there was one uh, particular person who was... Uh, Dr. Valentin uh, George and I have, have, have collaborated pretty frequently. I uh, deeply appreciate his collaboration over the last several years. 
very, very much so. And by the way, I, uh, I believe viruses exist. I believe that virus-like particles exist. Uh, things can be cloned. Lots of nasty stuff can be made. Not the question, though. The question is, is really, uh, how can we continue to deep dive on these points when it feels as though it only enables and has been enabling most of the tragedy in the first place? Donc la question que pose cet intervenant, c'est M. Marcoulet qui est aux États-Unis. Il, il, il pose une question très spécifique sur les protocoles hospitaliers qui ont été utilisés pendant le SARS-CoV-2. C'est un, un, un expert de la technologie, il a travaillé dans les systèmes, c'est un ingénieur de software, il a travaillé avec Dell, il a, pas mal de, il a énormément d'expérience dans les, les systèmes informatiques et donc il arrive à comprendre un certain nombre de choses. Mais il pense que la question qu'il a, qu a posée spécifiquement, c'est que euh, comment en fait les, les, les gens euh, sont morts aux États-Unis et, euh, et la manière dont on a comptabilisé ces morts. Il a aussi noté qu'aujourd'hui, c'est l'anniversaire d'une jeune femme, euh, Danielle, qui avait 27 ans lorsqu'elle est, lorsqu est morte. Euh, qui, enfin, selon les termes qu'il a employés, qu'elle a, a été tuée par des, des injections répétées de remdesivir. Euh, et finalement, elle a fait une infection pulmonaire et elle est morte avec euh, des doses de fentanyl qui, qui lui ont été euh, administrées. Que le fils de ce, ce monsieur euh, est décédé d'une overdose de drogue euh, en avril euh, l'année dernière. Et que donc, euh, il, euh, sa question, c'est que depuis quatre ans, nous sommes, nous faisons, nous, quand j'entends, quand je dis nous, c'est les scientifiques et les experts. Euh, internationaux, on va dire, je pense que la question s'adresse à tout cela, euh, se sont impliqués donc, dans des discussions de, de, de biologie moléculaire et de, de bioingénierie extrêmement poussées. Et euh, la question qu'il pose, qu qu pose à l'audience et au docteur Bittel, je pense, c'est est-ce qu'on euh, devrait, on, on devrait continuer à s'impliquer dans ce genre de discussions aussi pointues alors que euh, par rapport à, au changement ou à l'implication, à l'influence que ça peut avoir sur euh, les gens qui sont morts ou les gens qui, euh, qui ont souffert ou la manière dont on a, on a, on a opéré ces protocoles hospitaliers, euh, ça n'a pas eu beaucoup d'influence et que peut-être aussi euh, ça, 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 a fait, euh, ça a dilué en quelque sorte la, notre capacité à, à s'atteler aux problèmes de protocoles hospitaliers par rapport au SARS-CoV-2. Au SARS well, I would say uh, Uh, savant <laughs> or innocent. Uh, I, I think folks are innocent. These folks are trying. Uh, they're trying to find that there was this, and they're trying to trace it back. It's slicing. So. I'm not here to defend anybody, but I do folks are gathered to try to put the to be led. And a lot of the back and forth uh, expertise, so on and so forth. Um, I agree, Mark, that there's tragedy enough for everybody. That's what makes us do what we do every day. Um, But sometimes you need to have, you need to pursue the science. Otherwise, we're going to be victims of it. So that's all I would say. 
La réponse qu'a donnée George Webb, c'est qu'effectivement, les, les, les scientifiques dont, dont il parle, pour lui, sont, sont innocents. Il cherche en réalité à trouver des preuves euh, scientifiques et la signature en fait, de quelque chose qui s'est passé, afin qu'on ait justement des preuves relativement irréfutables pour euh, essayer de trouver une sorte de, une sorte de justice et que ça n'empêche pas, bien sûr, que la, la tragédie soit présente. Malheureusement, elle, elle, c'est une tragédie scientifique et une tragédie humaine. Et que, euh, que pour qu'enfin la, la justice se fasse, il faut quand même trouver euh, la présence de, de preuves irréfutables pour que justement une, une sorte de justice puisse se faire. Yes, we can hear you. So, first of all, I'd like to say that I'm really deeply sorry about the losses in your family and with your friends. Um, it's always horrific. I'm not an expert on, on US protocols in detail. I know in Germany, for example, people were initially put on, on ventilation too early. That turned out to be a mistake and was further stressing the lungs in some cases. Um, I, um, yeah, I don't feel to be the right person to really, um, yeah, I think what we had in Germany was, was a lack of experience with, um, severe acute respiratory viral infections like they had in China before with SARS-1. Um, we never had that. So there were a lot of, some mistakes made because it was just so new and people didn't know what to do, some were overreacting. Um, but I think it's still important to look into where this came from because otherwise we may not be able to prevent the next pandemic. This came from a lab. We have to be aware that making such synthetic viruses is very easy. Let's say not, not for a layperson, but for, for someone with a master of science in biology, all the protocols available online. Um, and it takes about 10,000 euros or dollars in materials and two or three weeks of work uh, to, to create something that can kill millions of people. And the other reason why I think it's very important to look into this is that they are, we know from other basically leaked viral particles um, into patient samples, That they are currently working on synthetic MERS, which is about 40 times more lethal, and synthetic Nipah virus, which is maybe around 80 times more lethal than SARS-CoV-2 in Wuhan. And these experiments are just not stopping unless we kind of stop them. So that is my motivation to, I know we all really tired of this virus, but to keep looking into this and to try to find the answer where this came from and to try to educate people or to allow them to form their own informed opinions um, so that we hopefully can prevent the next pandemic like this. Donc la réponse qui a été donnée, c'est qu'il est désolé bien sûr de la, la perte et des, des, la, des tragédies qui, qui sont en train de, de se passer, qui se sont passées. Euh, mais malheureusement que bon, il n'est pas expert de, des, des protocoles américains. Il explique qu'en Allemagne, euh, la ventilation a été faite trop tôt et que donc euh, il attribue ça à un manque d'expérience par, par rapport à la Chine, par exemple, qui avait l'expérience du SARS-1, et que beaucoup d'erreurs ont été faites parce qu'ils avaient, avaient moins d'expérience euh, euh, que dans des endroits où les, les, 
coronavirus était beaucoup plus courant. Et que donc, pour lui, l'important, c'est de trouver l'origine de ce virus, car si c'est un, effectivement un échappé de laboratoire, il faut savoir que la création de virus synthétique est extrêmement facile. Il a donné quelques chiffres en disant que c'était en gros 10 000 euros, 3 à 4 semaines de travail, et que euh, ces, ces recherches-là ne, ne, ne sont pas arrêtées à l'heure où on parle, et qu'en ce moment, il travaille sur, sur des, des virus synthétiques euh, sur le MERS et le, et le NIPA, qui sont en gros beaucoup plus mortels, avec une mortalité de 80%, en gros. Euh, et que ça se passe dans, dans beaucoup de pays. Je pense qu'il a, il a parlé de la Chine, mais pas que. Et que donc, pour lui, sa motivation essentielle, c'est de comprendre si ces laboratoires produisent effectivement ce genre de recherche, comment les, les prévenir et comment les arrêter. Et si je pouvais, moi, poser une question à Nice directement au Vas-y, oui. Simplement, dis simplement à Kezako et à Charles Gisley que tu poses d'abord, et puis ensuite, après, on leur passera le micro. D'accord, donc euh, Kezako, et tu m'as dit qui après Charles Rixé. Kezako, on va vous, on va vous donner la, la parole juste après, j'ai juste une petite question. And Charles, I'm sorry, I, I jump in, the, I have just a quick question for Dr. Valentin, after this you'll be, you, you'll be taking the uh, questions that you have. Uh, so Dr. Valentin, Vitelli, in this, in this um, question that um, you, or the answer that you just gave about the, uh, the lab, my question is that since these are not, um, national research, they're transnational research. My question is, how can any entity um, be, be um, not certain, but at least confident enough that finding the origin of it somewhere is going to have enough political momentum to stop something which, A, is transnational, and B, seems to be funded by military protocol rather than scientific protocol So, what's your view on this? Donc, la, la question que j'ai posée, c'est sachant que ce sont, ce sont des recherches qui sont transnationales et qui sont financées non pas seulement par des budgets scientifiques, mais par des budgets militaires, comment peut-on penser que trouver l'origine de ce virus de manière scientifique aura un, un impact euh, suffisamment important politiquement et militairement et financièrement pour stopper euh, ou en tout cas interrompre euh, ces recherches de gain de fonds? Um, so, of course, I think this will be quite challenging because uh, it's fairly easy to just have like a um, you know, hidden lab, underground lab, something like that, and to pursue bioweapons research there. I don't really think this was bioweapons research because they wrote this DARPA proposal, and I think Chinese military would not basically describe their bioweapons program in such an amount of detail to the US. DARPA, which is part of the military, um, if they, you know, this was really top secret military stuff. But there's a lot of bioweapon research in that field and in sometimes same labs or same, um, same institutes. I think we still have to try it. I think it worked fairly well with uh, nuclear weapons that we had an international surveillance agency um, that really had access to all the sites where um, nuclear material, material was produced, where you had ultra centrifuges. So in this case, it would be DNA synthesis machines that need to be kind of supervised. Um, and basically, I also think we should take a lot of these protocols offline and make them uh, not available to anybody, terrorists and so on. Um, 
but I'm not sure if it's going to work. Yeah, maybe some countries may still do their secret bioweapon research. But uh, I think in the in, if we think about nuclear weapons, it's a much older technology. The first synthetic viruses were produced from, from that class maybe like 20 years ago. Nukes were produced 80 years ago, and we didn't have a single nuke go off after the two uh, during World War II. Um, so maybe it would be possible to achieve the same thing. We really try if we put everybody on on the table and say, see, this is was so harmful to everybody, also to China, um, and we really need to start controlling this technology, which is so much more lethal and more and cheaper than nuclear weapons in at least a similar manner. But I think the truth is basically the way to get there. First, have to admit that uh, mistakes were made and where this came from, and um, then we can think about what the solution is. Donc, uh, sa réponse est qu'en fait, uh, effectivement, ça peut être très difficile d'arrêter ce genre de choses, uh, mais qu'en fait, si on suit le modèle de ce qui a été fait dans la recherche nucléaire, on peut avoir des institutions internationales de supervision et que la, le, la première étape en réalité pour essayer d'arrêter ça, c'est d'arriver à la vérité et de retrouver des gens qui, qui admettent s'il y a eu des erreurs faites, qui admettent ces erreurs. Et la seconde chose qu'il a proposée aussi, c'est à part la supervision internationale sur le modèle de la, la régulation des, des, des centres de recherche nucléaire, c'est aussi ne pas mettre en ligne ou à disponibilité de, de, de gens chercheurs euh, sur la planète, euh, ces bases de données qui sont des bases de données technologiques, et que donc euh, il faut, d'une manière ou d'une autre, il faut, même si c'est difficile, il faut quand même essayer de, de réguler ça. Thank you. Jean-Rixé, uh, you have the microphone. You can speak and ask your questions. Uh, yes, good morning or good evening. I'm here in Japan. Um, my name is Charles Rixey. I was a uh, weapons of mass destruction specialist in the United States Marine Corps. And for those who may not be aware, the diffuse proposal that uh, Valentin described was I worked with I was the person who worked with Major Joseph Murphy and made the decision to release that proposal to the public. And <clears throat> so first, what I want to say is that the reason that we released that proposal was because at the time there was a vaccine mandate that was about to take, about to be implemented for the United States military. And Major Murphy, in his role as a, as a, during his fellowship at DARPA, he was also in the office where they were tracking all of the adverse events from the vaccines for the military. Because that same office had been working with that technology and knew more about it than anyone else on earth basically they darpa had funded moderna a decade before and so part of our goal 
was to try to stop that vaccine mandate. But on a bigger level, what we wanted to show was something that otherwise would never have been released, which was the proof of intent to create a virus that had several properties that we now see in SARS-CoV-2. And there are, there's at least four. Um, and as a member of Drastic, I worked with other researchers and scientists to analyze and then publish an analysis of these documents when we release them. And we highlighted several things. First, the, the, the furin cleavage site, the fact that they had the intent to place human-specific furin cleavage sites into SARS-like viruses. Two, that they had the intent to, um, to manipulate the viruses in their receptor-binding domain. Three, that they were looking specifically for viruses that could use receptors besides ACE2 or even furin cleavage. And this includes what's called DC sign. And then fourth was that the way that they were going to put these things together were a specific methods of chimeric viral construction. And that is what Valentin and Alex and Tony found the evidence for within the SARS-CoV-2 genome. And so um, I, I think that was incredibly important. They found something that there wasn't supposed to be evidence of. And why is it important? Because in order to hold these people accountable, whoever, if it was designed, what they found, the, the, it's the molecular biology that allows us to challenge the orthodox zoonosis narrative. And once again, that's the only way that we can hold these, whoever these people are, if it is a lab-created virus or manipulated virus, then it's this science, it's, it's this scientific evidence and others like it that ultimately will allow us to do that. So I don't have a question. Um, I just wanted to provide some, some insight into that aspect of this um but i i may um, i may i translate this yes but i I say thank you to 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 valentine and to tony and to alex and and that's it donc charles xe s'est présenté donc il est il est spécialiste dans les marines américains il était spécialiste des armes de destruction massive et il a participé donc à la à la, comment on peut dire, la traduction de release, il a participé à la publication, on va dire, ou la, de, la propos, de la proposition diffuse, euh, avec le, le majeur Murphy, 
Et la raison pour laquelle euh, ils ont décidé de publier cette, euh, cette, euh, cette recherche, cette proposition de recherche, c'est parce que l'armée américaine était, euh, à, à, à cette époque-là, euh, devait avoir un mandat vaccinal et avait commencé à, obli à obliger à ses soldats à se, se faire vacciner. Et que donc, ils pensaient qu'ils euh, il connaissaient très bien euh, les travaux de DARPA ainsi que Charles d'années et que donc ils voulaient arrêter euh, essentiellement les, les mandats vaccinaux euh, dans l'armée américaine euh, il, a, il a aussi parlé du groupe auquel il participe qui s'appelle euh, le groupe Drastique qui est un groupe international de, de scientifiques et de chercheurs qui ont participé à analyser et publier leurs leur découvertes depuis trois ans et demi. Euh, et que donc, ce qu il, ce qu il, a, il a mentionné quatre points particuliers qu que donc, euh, qui étaient ex excessivement importants, à savoir quant aux propriétés du, du SARS-CoV-2. Donc le Furin, le Furin Cleavage Site, le site de, de clivage de Furin, euh, était positionné d'une manière très spécifique pour être euh, très viral pour euh, les êtres humains. Et il y avait donc une intentionnalité de manipuler le virus sur le RBD, le Receptor Binding Domain, qu'il cherchait donc euh, euh, des virus avec euh, des récepteurs en plus du, euh, du récepteur AC2 et que la façon dont avait été assemblé euh, ce, ce, ce virus était un, un assemblage chimérique et donc ils ont trouvé les preuves là ils parlent des, des auteurs, euh, des auteurs du, du papier dont on parle euh, et que ces chercheurs ont donc trouvé euh, les preuves euh, du, sur le, le SARS l'assemblement et la façon dont le, le, le génome du SARS-CoV-2 était qu'en fait il y avait euh, que, que, ce, que ce virus était extrêmement suspect et que donc en fait euh, la biologie moléculaire euh, permet de trouver de, de, de faire un challenge en, en quelque sorte du narratif zoonote et permet de donner des arguments scientifiques et, euh, et, et evidence-based, c'est-à-dire qui, qui soit basé sur le, la réalité des données pour contredire le narratif zoonote et, et que donc pour lui c'est très important d'avoir ce genre de, de recherche de, de moléculaire pour, pour permettre de, à, à l'argument, on va dire, de de justice de, de se faire puisque sans cet argument-là, sans ces preuves-là il serait probablement très difficile de, de, de mettre ces gens euh, euh, en tout cas les responsables de, cette, de ces recherches de, leur, de, le, de les mettre dans un système judiciaire Thank you very much um, Really, really uh, Thank you a lot uh, I had just a little question before Kezako euh, vous avez mentionné, euh, nous avons mentionné le site de clivage furine récemment. Et on a tout aussi récemment euh, parlé de l'origine féline euh, de ce site de clivage furine. En effet, le site de clivage S1, S2 de la spike du virus peut être modelé à partir du virus responsable de la péritonite infectieuse du chat, euh, la, FIP, enfin, la FIPV. Et euh, de façon intéressante, euh, FIPV présente aussi un site de clivage S'2, euh, KRS. Donc qu'en pensez-vous Et surtout quand, des gens, euh, surtout quand des gens répondent que le FIPV n'infecte pas les cellules humaines, ça, ça c'est pour toi comme réponse. 
Parce que bien entendu, on ne parle pas de la spike du FIPV, mais de la spike du SARS-CoV-2 et juste d'une partie analogue. Donc c'est une question que j'adresse euh, ben, à nos scientifiques euh, ici euh, sur, le, sur le space. So I will translate just a little bit. Uh, we mentioned recently the Florence cleavage site and uh, also recently uh, we talked about um, as, uh, that this Florence cleavage site is of feline origin. Indeed, the S1-S2 cleavage site of spike virus can be modeled on the virus responsible of the infectious peritonitis in cats, FIPV. Interestingly, FIPV has also an ICE2 prime car uh, KRS cleavage site. Uh, what do you what do you think about it? Uh, it's quite funny because uh, sometimes your opponents reply that FIPV does not infect human cells, which is a surprising answer. Uh, Because, of, of course, we are not talking about FIPV spike protein, but the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, it's just a focus on an analogy. So please, uh, our scientists here, um, on this space, can you, what do you think about this uh, feeling, that, that potential feeling origin? Thank you. Okay, um, so maybe we start very quickly with what the furing cleavage site does. So basically, we have this uh, spike protein that helps the virus to stick to the human cell. Um, but that alone is not really super helpful for the virus. It also needs to get its genome inside of that cell. So after the virus is stuck to the surface, we have proteases, so proteins that cut other proteins that kind of cleave uh, the spike protein. And that allows the two membranes, the membrane of the virus and of the cell, to fuse and to get the virus into the cell. And there's, for example, other proteases like Tempus 2 that can do that for SARS-CoV-2, but those are not expressed, for example, on brain cells or nerve cells. So in this case, you would have a virus that can only infect your lungs and couldn't cause severe Uh, nerve damage or very affect your heart rhythm by destroying the cells that produce your heart rhythm. Um, so for a while, people realized that by introducing furinically resides, this makes a virus much more dangerous. And also because it's such an ancestral protease, it also helps viruses to infect new species. It increases the, uh, the species tropism. Um, And there have been basically a trend in virology to introduce free cleavage sites into a lot of different viruses, for example, into SARS-1, into MERS, into H6N1, which doesn't have one. And they've always seen, okay, this makes the virus a lot more dangerous and it allows it to infect other tissues or other species. Would you like to translate already or? Vas-y, Annie, si tu peux m'aider là-dessus, parce que c'est un peu technique. Euh, J'ai compris qu'il a, qu a expliqué que ce qui était. Euh, on a la spike qui colle euh, en fait à la, aux cellules humaines. Voilà, ouais. et, et que donc euh, le génome 
euh, doit après euh, se focaliser sur les protéines de l'icepike. Ensuite, il a expliqué que le virus peut, à ce moment-là, s'il ne fusionne pas, il est moins dangereux. Par contre, quand on introduit le furin cleavage side, ça, ça, peut, ça le rend évidemment beaucoup plus dangereux et plus infectieux et qu'en plus, il peut, être, euh, il peut être donné à plusieurs espèces et, euh, et qu'en ce moment, ils sont en train de travailler sur le même genre de, la même genre de méthodologie pour le SARS et le MERS. Oui, c'est cela. Mais a priori, de ce que j'ai compris aussi, euh, c'est que ce n'est pas forcément euh, sur ce virus-là euh, uniquement. C'est ce ça. que j'ai compris. C'est ça, c'est ça, c'est ça. Donc, ça n'est pas forcément spécifique à ce virus-là. Euh, donc, euh, voilà, ça, c'est ce que j'ai ce capté, en fait, de la réponse de Voilà, Dr. mais il n'avait pas fini. Yeah, go ahead. No. You, yeah, go ahead with your, the rest of your explanation. Okay. So basically, what we see in that um, uh, cat virus is a very similar sequence of a furin cleavage site, and we also see very similar codon usage. So a specific amino acid can be coded for with different um, letters, DNA or in this case RNA letters. There's always three letters that code for one amino acid. And we have two very unusual combinations for the arginine in the shearing cleavage site. So it's a CGG sequence um, that is highly unusual to be in, in bad viruses. It's very common, though, in humans. Uh, and we have seen the sequence also in the, in the cat FIPV virus. Um, however, there's also, there could also be, in my opinion, an alternative explanation, and that They describe in the diffuse proposal that they wanted to not just use any furin cleavage site, but human-specific ones. And there's one human-specific one that is coming from Enac Alpha, um, which was described at the Institute of Ralph Barrick, um, who was one of the um, applicants of the diffuse proposal, and that has also a highly similar sequence. So the RRARSVAS is identical to Enac Alpha. So, in my opinion, it could just be that they thought, oh, which different human sites do we want to test? We want to focus on human ones because if this virus gets into humans and there could be a recombination between a human human cleavage site and this virus, and that would be a very straightforward step to make this virus really dangerous. And that just the um, ENAC Alpha was their template. However, we still don't know if there was an intermediate host, which was directly a bad virus. It could have um, lived in, in cats for a while, the direct template, template virus. They had, uh, according to the diffuse proposal, 180 sequenced bad uh, viral genomes at the World Institute of Virology, which many of them, they still haven't disclosed the sequences of. So it's really a black box. Um, And alternatively, it could have been that this virus, after the outbreak, was circulating for some time in cats. But, um, you know, cats could could have ate some mice escaping from a lab experiment or something like that. Yeah, so I think it's uh, fairly clear that the, the cousin one-related viruses were in bats. Um, and it's both possible, but still quite likely that they just did what they wrote in their proposal that they were looking for human identical human cleavage sites and they used one they had discovered at the u.s partner institute and uh, tested among others also this one 
Donc, Anis, tu peux m'aider si je n'ai pas tout compris. Euh, je pense qu'il a expliqué que, donc, euh, le, de manière très intéressante, d'ailleurs, parce que moi, je n'ai pas entendu cette, cette version des choses, que dans la, la proposition Diffuse, de, il y avait une partie qui donc, décrivait ça, et la, la partie qui décrivait ça, c'était le, le laboratoire de Ralph Perrick, euh, qui, donc, euh, essayait de tester pour trouver un, un site de, de, fura, de, de clivage furin qui soit le plus. Euh, plus porteur en quelque sorte et qu'ils avaient 180 séquences qui étaient euh, du weave pour pouvoir faire ça et qu'en fait euh, peut-être que le chat c'était une, une espèce intermédiaire mais qu'en fait ce qu'ils qu cherchaient c'était de, de trouver un, un site de furin clivage qui soit le plus similaire à, à ce qui pourrait rendre le, le virus extrêmement euh, dangereux pour, pour les hommes si j'ai bien compris. C'est ça c'est globalement le sens de son intervention c'est tout à fait ça ok Alors, on, je vais passer la parole à Kezako Kezako, quelle est ta, ta question uh, Kezako, it's your turn. Ask your question, please. Kezako, a buggy. Okay. Uh, ben M, do you have a question, please? Can, ben, yes, it's yes, your turn. I can hear you. Thank you. Yes, thank it's you. okay. Um, yes, I had specifically two questions around um, the uh, synthetic um, production of viruses um, or bioweapons, they call them the title. So I've reviewed a couple of um, primary, primary literature, um, including, uh, of course, the original Wu et al. 2020 paper, but also a couple other papers that um, claim to have uh, produced those uh, Obviously, the Wu is not synthetic, but um, other ones that have um, basically um, or, or describe essentially how uh, Valentin uh, Brutal has described earlier that uh, you know producing viruses um, in the lab, how that is specifically works. Um, I found it interesting is that um, it appears that um, all these um, papers fail to actually show that. What, whatever they produce in those the lab um, produces any yeah, real-world relevance. Um, from from what I've been last three years, I, I couldn't, I, I don't really buy into the um, hypothesis that this is was maybe a novel pathogenic virus-driven pandemic. For me, um, all these outbreaks, uh, I've been looking mostly at all-cause mortality, and um, I, I come from basically the same standpoint as maybe Denis uh, Vancouver's work. Some of you might have uh, might be familiar with him. Um, I think there's um, many other explanations you know, that how these excess uh, deaths could have occurred, iatrogenic deaths, et cetera, et cetera. So um, specifically, my question is, or I think Valentina is is that um, is the um, um, aware of any studies that have actually checked that the um, techniques that he described um, to create these synthetic viruses um, actually um, you know, valid um, viral particles, like for example by our electron micros microscopy, um, and then also maybe as like controls um, check maybe if you um, mutate uh, change the genetic code, for example, of the spike protein, um, would result into in different um, observed um, particles under electron microscopy. And the second question would be um, if there are any um, also like real world uh, studies, obviously, 
unethical to do this with humans, but um, there's a few animal studies that have also checked for, like, that use uh, isolates of SARS-CoV-2, um, but um, they typically fail to show any clinical effect. So like they, they, the animals wouldn't even become sick. So I'm like very interested to see if there's, you know, if, if, if these um, synthetic viruses Claim to be produced or have invalidated like their clinical um, effects essentially. Yeah. Thank you. Donc la question c'est que il a recherché donc dans la littérature et il, il est assez d'accord avec les, tra les travaux de Monsieur Rancourt euh, et donc lui ce qu'il la question qu'il pose c'est que est-ce que ces pathogènes euh, nouveaux sont réellement en fait euh, des, des, des mal enfin, résultent dans des maladies, on va, faire, on, on va dire, et que euh, donc les, les, les techniques qui sont utilisées pour créer ces virus euh, et ces, ces particules euh, qui, qui sont euh, émanées de ces virus-là, est-ce que ça se manifeste en fait, euh, dans, la, dans la vie réelle Et, euh, et est-ce qu'on est qu peut en avoir la, la preuve, en particulier en utilisant des, un, des microscopes électroniques Et ensuite, la deuxième question qu'il a, c'est sur les études sur les animaux euh, et sur le fait que est-ce que les isolés de SARS-CoV-2 quand ils sont euh, synthétiques et qui sont introduits chez les animaux est-ce qu'on a des preuves encore une fois avec euh, euh, la manifestation de la maladie chez ces animaux-là et euh, donc des manifestations cliniques euh, de, de ces virus synthétiques Ok, regarding the first question um, yeah, I probably should have looked this up in detail, but I'm pretty sure they also looked at some electron microscopy. What they always do is stain for, for example, viral receptors or viral proteins in different tissues. Uh, it's just a more easy way to prove that your synthetic virus can infect a certain organ or a certain species. Um, so I don't have doubt that the, these, these technologies work. I've not ever handled any of these synthetic viruses myself or basically watched anybody do the experiments, but they, they are done all over the world. It's kind of true that um, many animals are not that easily killed by, by SARS-CoV-2, for example. Um, it's highly adapted to humans, but There are animals, for example, mice that have the human receptor or hamsters that if a high enough dose uh, can become sick um, and have clear symptoms of, of viral infections. Um, so I don't, I think there's basically, you, you wouldn't see it in an electron microscope if you have changed the spike protein, for example, it would look still Pretty much the same. It's not not visible um, in an electron microscope. To if you just you know introduce a few cleavage side that easy, but the effects are very clear. For example, in SARS-CoV-2, if you remove the few cleavage sites, hamsters can't get sick anymore at all. So basically, I think it's it's fairly well proven. It would have would require hundreds of labs fabricating data all over the world um, if these synthetic viruses are not ill or not really affecting cells and causing damage. 
it's very easy to observe this also in human cell cultures, so take cells from human lungs that have been explanted from some for some other medical procedures. Um, and then you can see that these cells start dying while those you add. It's fairly clear these synthetic viruses are pretty much identical except for of the patterns of synthetic assembly, which don't really affect the viral function that much. Donc sa réponse c'est que ces virus synthétiques sont de toute fin. Il pense qu'ils il, il pense qu'ils sont de toute façon efficaces, qu'ils marchent dans dans les chez les êtres humains et en même temps que chez les animaux, puisqu'on a vu que si on retirait les, les sites de furin de clivage furin, on voyait que les animaux donc ne peuvent pas être malades et que donc selon lui si ça effectivement ça ne marchait pas ces virus synthétiques ne marchaient pas du tout, ça impliquerait que des centaines de laboratoires dans le monde ont, ont falsifié des, des données donc il pense que c'est pas très très probable. Um, could I, you mind if I interject here about the um, ability to model SARS-CoV-2 in animal species? Um, there are a number of non-human primate studies which have been done which show that SARS can have um, debilitating and up to lethal effects. There are um, similar risk stratifications. So older monkeys tend to be more at risk. African green monkeys seem to be more susceptible than rhesus macaques. There is species difference. Um, regarding the, uh, the question about whether the synthetic viruses were able to transmit, was that the question from Ben? Yes. Yes. So um, these primate studies also do um, aerosolization, and the uh, the ability to infect other animals has been demonstrated. Um, now, if I look through PubMed, it's gone from a handful of non-human primate papers to, um, well, it, it, it's a, it's a rough search, but, um, there, there are 2000 listings. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm aware. Interesting part I found is that they basically never show any electron images of the, um, manufactured viruses. Um, um what do you mean after infection? Right. You could, for example, um, in an animal model, introduce. Uh, I mean, there is this study I'm looking at, Martins, where, where they have where they do deer to deer transmission with a control group as well, and obviously the the particles transmit. Um, as I said before, they the deer don't doesn't get a clinic there's no clinical science but like you can with pcr you can test the infections so that's obviously there the question is uh if 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 for example these were um in this study it's not a synthetic virus the original sars-cov-2 but like if you were to re repeat this experiment with a synthetic um product or virus um 
could you then find the, the same virus basically the other animals like and then i would like to see like electron images for example of those as well and like um, as far as i've seen there's no studies that show these electron images um and my my, my first point was also that just check you know if i'm an engineer so i'm coming more from a I might lack the biological parts of this, but I'm coming more from a procedural point of view. So like, you know, if I'm engineering something, I'm trying to be systematic about something. So like, for example, I would try to make the spike protein look completely different or like maybe cut it out or something, just leave the stem there or something, and then produce the same, the same methodology, produce this virus, synthetic virus, and then make an electron image to, to confirm that this virus that was produced by my method then has no spike protein or just the stem. So Do you in, see where I'm getting at? Yeah. In Sorry, can, may, may I interject just to give people what's going on in French? Yes, of course. Thank you very much. Euh, donc le, la question que, que voulait, enfin, la, la, la spécification que voulait apporter docteur McKernan, c'était sur le fait que la capacité donc de, de, de ces virus synthétiques à, à, à rendre malade d'autres espèces que les que les rats et que les, les rats de laboratoire en particulier les primates. Il a donc expliqué que chez les primates, il y avait quelques espèces qui étaient beaucoup plus sensibles à la maladie, comme par exemple les, les singes qui étaient plus âgés ou certaines, certaines espèces de primates, en particulier les macaques, les macaques verts. Et que donc les virus synthétiques, selon lui, quand ils avaient été testés avec des propriétés aérosols, avaient bien démontré que les animaux étaient, étaient contaminés et que donc sur les publications PubNet qu'on pouvait trouver, on trouvait en gros plus de 2000 publications qui étaient qui prouvait que les, les animaux pouvaient être infectés. Et la discussion qui s'ensuit maintenant avec euh, Ben, c'est une discussion de méthodologie sur, euh, sur, en fait, pas si les, les animaux deviennent vraiment malades, mais en, en sachant que si on faisait une certaine architecture de la méthodologie en laissant un certain nombre de traces, on pouvait trouver que ce serait quelque chose qui serait ingénieux. Plus. Donc c'est plus une question technique, une question de preuve sur la maladie des animaux, si j'ai bien compris. Uh, um, in... In the scope of the discussion, um, bioweapons, what about SARS-CoV-2? Um, we have to ask ourselves, um, you know, what, what does it mean? What do we mean by uh, weapon? And the, um, I, I think a lot of focus is put on towards incapacitation. And a recent study um, has come out in Nature Communications, um, which perhaps Uh, maybe answers Ben's question a little bit. Um, it's from it's a French group, and the title of the paper is "Neuroinvasion and Anosmia: an Independent Phenomena Upon Infection with SARS-CoV-2 and Its Variants." And basically, they can remove the open reading frame seven, and they uh, they're able to negate the uh, the symptoms of anosmia. But what they found was that every every variant of SARS, uh, they use gamma, delta, and Omicron BA1, um, is capable of neuroinvasion. And I'll just read what, what that abstract says. Conversely, all SARS-CoV-2 variants are neuroinvasive, and this is the important part, regardless of the clinical presentation they induce. Um, We can, it gets into technicalities about 
the anosmia, etc. But the key point there is that neuroinvasion takes place. We see an epidemiological fingerprint of this effect. Um, this is these are people who are um, inflicted with long-term long COVID, as people call it, and the the concern here is that SARS-CoV-2 as a virus contains an extraordinary amount of amyloidogenic peptides, not only in the spike protein, but also um, across its genome, and including what I think is a suspicious add-on, which is the open reading frame 10. And if they are all neuroinvasive and are capable of neurotropism without people going through initial stages like the um, early strains were doing where they were causing um, acute respiratory distress syndrome. I would argue that this neuroinvasive capacity is precisely what you would be looking for in a weapon. And if anyone has any comments to that. Je traduis d'abord. I will translate. <laughs> euh, donc, ce qu'il qu vient de mettre en exergue, c'est qu'il y a un papier de Nature Communication qui a été, qui a été écrit par un groupe français. Je ne sais pas si Annelise, tu as noté le, le nom du groupe. Je n'ai pas, pas réussi à le noter. Et donc là, il parle du sujet de est-ce qu'il s'agit d'une arme euh, biologique ou pas. Et donc, on, donc pour essayer de répondre à, ce, à cette question-là, il propose donc euh, le fait que dans ce papier... Euh, tous les variants qui ont été étudiés euh, du SARS, c'est-à-dire gamma, delta, omicron, euh, étaient capables d'invasion neuronale et que donc, euh, quelle, que, quelle que soit leur présentation clinique et euh, de symptômes et de gravité, et que donc il euh, y avait euh, une invasion neuronale particulièrement présente dans les, dans les gens qui, avaient un, qui souffraient d'un Covid long, avec une, une perte d'odorat, une perte de... Et donc... Euh, le SARS-CoV-2 SARS ayant euh, présenté des, pro des propriétés amyloïdes, euh, il propose donc euh, le fait que ce soit euh, une, une, que le fait que le SARS-CoV-2 ait des propriétés neuro-invasives avec euh, ce neurotropisme euh, aux effets donc, euh, amyloïdes, que par, par définition selon lui, c'est un, un argument pour proposer le fait que ce soit une, une arme biologique. Euh, potentiel. C'est la question qui posait. I completely agree with you, Kevin McCammon. Uh, uh, I think that the uh, amyloid properties of the spike protein is uh, quite worrying. Uh, and not just for neurotropism. It's for all the... Uh, yes, it's systemic. systemic as well. Yeah, it's systemic, I think so. Uh, spike, the spike protein uh, love to be... Um, uh, to be uh, hydrolyzed... Uh, to be hydrolyzed uh, or proteolyzed. Uh, it loves that. Um, and some studies show that um, the proteo... The, the, the cleavage of the spike protein induces some... Uh, amyloid fibers and structure, um, just like an hydrogel uh, film. It's really 
I think important, and I think that uh, the, I, the, the, the cytokine storm is linked directly to this uh, amyloid properties. Uh, we can talk uh, together if you want. Uh, I'm just sure. open to, to that, discuss, that kind of discussion. So thank you very much. Uh, I think so. I, I, I agree completely with you. And, and now can we, we have some um, uh, other speakers. Uh, ben, I'm sorry, I just have to um, put you down and uh, give the microphone to Kyle. Uh, yeah, thank or, you. I don't I'll, know. I'll go down. Thank you. Thank you very much. This uh, this wonderful space and uh, apologies for my my terrible American accent. Uh, quite beautiful. Um, my question is a as a follow up on what was what was just said because. Um, there are two parts to this. So first of all, the, the neuroinvasive part, I think if we look around us, we can begin to see, as opposed to the way it's construed as this being uh, over rather than no, we're just beginning to enter into the fourth year. If you look at the, the associated neurocognitive decline happening around us, um, I think that, that that's a startling feature. Um, and and the, the practical question would be, even if it wasn't lab engineered, the fact that we see, or even if it wasn't a bioweapon, um, the fact that we see these features, that they are in fact systemic and, and neuroinvasive, to you experts, how do you, how does that figure into the way that you yourself live your life? Because the one thing I haven't been able to get my small brain around is for many people who believe this is either a bioweapon or a laboratory leak um it, at least in the u.s the 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 response to that has been let it rip that to me seems incongruent i i don't know how to make those two if if i think this is a bioweapon you would think one would Take more precautions. Am I am I wrong in thinking that? Someone someone help me sort of figure out what the implications. What do the implications mean? It, it's a very complex question because you're you're dealing with a very um, complex agent. My, Kevin, may, may I just may I just interrupt you? Sorry, oh, just to translate, to translate yes, this question. Yeah. So sorry about this. Mm. So the the question of the um, the, the, the the speaker is. We can see in French. In French, ah, pardon. In French. Pardon, pardon, pardon. <laughs> sorry, sorry, software problem. Um, donc, euh, la question que pose cet intervenant, c'est qu'on voit bien que les manifestations de neuroinvasion sont très claires autour de nous dans la vie quotidienne. Ça fait quatre ans qu'on est dans la situation dans laquelle on est, et, donc, et on se rend compte donc autour de nous des, des, des impacts cognitifs sur, sur les gens, et que donc la, la question euh, qui, qui, qui l'a il a posé, quelle que soit l'origine de ce virus, si c'est un virus normal ou si un virus qui est sorti d'un laboratoire, comment on peut continuer euh, dans la vie quotidienne, sachant que euh, voilà, si c'est une arme biologique, elle a, on, apparemment aux États-Unis, euh, l'idée c'est de la laisser courir et qu'il n'y a pas de, de protocole en place pour, euh, pour arrêter ça. 
Um, so if I was trying to give some advice, the the virus is endemic. There's not much we can do about that. Um, there's obviously the um, overreach of bureaucracies that we have to pay attention to because properties like this can be uh, abused. We've seen that over the last uh, three years, and we can see them trying to aggregate uh, more power. The, the fallout from the pandemic still continues. Um, respect to, um, at a personal level, um, always mitigate exposure. Um, we can see there was a paper out earlier this month as well, which showed that um, there was a lot of crossover between Alzheimer's and um, people with uh, long COVID. And I think there's a, a case of, like like most conditions, you're going to have cohorts of people who are more sensitive to the effects than others. And... If you've managed to get this far, um, you're probably okay from what would appear to be the acute to midterm effects. What the long-term effects are of the neuroinvasiveness, I'm not sure we really um, know. We'll have to wait to see how that data shakes out. But um, make sure that you don't give the... Um, you give your body the best chance possible, right? And we all know things that we should and shouldn't do, um, even though, you know, we might find them enjoyable. They can take a toll on the body, and they, um, you know, if you run yourself down, you're going to increase chances of um, more amyloidogenic cascade. Um, there's plenty of dietary and Herbal supplements that people are suggesting. Um, I'm of the opinion that um, you should try try things, um, find what works for you. And um, I don't think, like I said, that it, this is not the only virus that has these properties. There are other neuroinvasive um, pathogens, um, even influenza. It doesn't have the number of amyloidogenic epitopes that um, SARS does. Even herpes, which many people, well, most people carry, and that was the focus um, in my discipline. We thought that um, Parkinson's was, uh, and Alzheimer's, was very likely an uh, interaction with um, herpes. Um, these are these are all things in your environment, and they don't stop you living your life, right? But, you know, be sensible if uh, you know that there's um, an outbreak. Um, we've, we're just going through one right now in Japan. Charles, who was speaking earlier, um, got a dose of it as he was here. Um, you just be sensible. And you don't have to have a big brother or the government tell you how and what to do in these instances just common sense and the final point i would say i'm very concerned about them pushing 
gene transfection of these peptide sequences because they go around the body and they're amyloidogenic as well. We don't know what the um, interactions are between uh, the virus, the host, and the synthetic peptides as well. So um, I hope that helped answer that question. It's a very difficult one. Donc, Kevin a répondu que c'était une question très difficile, que le virus était maintenant endémique et que donc, avec la prise de pouvoir que ce, cette pandémie a, a permis, en particulier sur la bureaucratie, etc., qu'il faut essentiellement essayer de réduire son exposition personnelle, sachant donc que le virus, de toute façon, maintenant est endémique et qu'il faut prendre soin de soi, de, en particulier dans les phases acutes, c'est-à-dire si on est exposé à... À des, à des variants qui sont en train de sortir. Il a, il a donné le cas de ce qui, est, ce qui est en train de se passer au Japon. Il y a une, il y a une vague en ce moment. Donc, essayer de réduire son exposition au virus en tant que tel, mais aussi euh, prendre soin de soi, c'est-à-dire euh, dormir, manger correctement, ne pas faire ce qu'on doit ne pas faire, c'est-à-dire alcool, etc. Et, euh, et essayer de prendre soin de soi, essayer des, des thérapies si elles peuvent marcher, essayer des suppléments, etc., il a donné l'exemple d'autres virus qui sont endémiques aussi, comme par exemple le virus de l'herpès qui était à un moment donné, on pensait que c'était aussi quelque chose qui pouvait être porteur d'Alzheimer, etc. Et de, en tout cas de dégénérescence neurologique dans le temps, qu'on ne sait pas bien sûr ce que ça va donner dans le temps entre l'interaction entre le virus, l'hôte et bien sûr la, la peptide synthétique et que donc il fallait faire au mieux qu'on pouvait avec les, les moyens qu'on a, sachant qu'on ne pouvait pas voir ce qui allait se passer dans, la, dans le futur. Thank you very much. Um, before Car Carolina, uh, and uh, she will be uh, our last uh, speaker. I have just a, a little question uh, for George Webb. Just what the purpose, what the what what is the aim of this uh, all? Uh, I can I don't I don't find the word to qualify correctly this uh, this phenomenon. But what the what is the purpose? What the aim? What they want to do? Do you have some uh, clue, some um, answers? Sure. Well, I can only uh, repeat what I've been told by people who are in our, our highest levels of military, and this is secondhand. So um, the, op the operation that I've reported on is called Blackjack. Military situations as an anti-terrorist way of tracking and tracing, uh, finding and fixing, uh, and then there's supposed to be a Finnish component, uh, something a secondary to this primary coding of, of find and fix, a secondary coding that you can finish selectively. So it's a way of marking first and then finishing either a short finish with, uh, you know, something pathogenic and, and terrible or a long finish like a cancer, like a turbo cancer. Uh, so uh, that's a, a theory. That's something I've spent seven years trying to see if it's true or not. And uh, that's what I get up every day and write about in my Substack. I throw in my uh, commercial, georgeweb.substack.com. Uh, and uh, that's what I do every day. 
Find, fix, and finish is the name of the program. Operation more, uh, Operation Blackjack. Donc la réponse qu'a donnée euh, George Webb, c'est que ça fait sept ans qu'il travaille là-dessus. Euh, L'opération dont il parle, selon lui, ce serait une, opé une, enfin, une opération qui s'appelle Opération Blackjack, euh, qui est en fait une sorte d'opération de, de traçage, track and trace, donc euh, d'abord identifier, ensuite tracer. Et que donc euh, cette opération aurait, on va dire, deux fonctions, une finalité... Euh, euh, c'était d'abord d'infiltrer, puis ensuite donc, le, la partie euh, tracking et traçage, et ensuite euh, la partie donc, euh, imposition d'une fin. Alors une fin rapide, ça pourrait être quelque chose d'un pathogène extrêmement mortel et très rapide, ou alors une, une finalité plus longue, c'est-à-dire des hein, cancers, avec probablement derrière une, une possibilité de, de thérapeutique disponible. Donc il, il, il travaille aussi sur Substack, donc vous pouvez le retrouver sur Substack, où il publie beaucoup de choses et je me permets de rajouter qu'il est, est très, très souvent sur des spaces Twitter également, donc si vous vous intéressez à son travail de, de journaliste, vous pouvez le retrouver là-dessus. Euh, Anise, est-ce que je peux me permettre de lui poser une question particulière Ah mais vas-y, tu es coach. Tu y vas. Merci. George, can, may I ask you a specific question because I've been on many of your spaces and I Bien think it, 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 would be, it would be very useful for the French audience to just Uh, ask you to do because I know you you go very much in depth in a lot of things that the French audience is not aware of. So, for the the for the in the aim of understanding what you think the general architecture of this thing is, uh, my question is: if the track and trace is actually true, if the intention is to track uh, the entire population of the world, let's assume. Uh, in order to, to decide on a certain amount of things, once you have the capacity to track the individual, you're capable of saying, maybe not who lives and who doesn't live, but who does certain things and who doesn't, if, if this is the, the, the way that this is going. Um, who is in charge of this, if anyone? So is this a, a, a national program or is it a transnational program? And uh, to, what, to what extent have you seen the evidence of a countermeasures that could help. So in other words, do they already have the fix in place? And if so, who could get access to that fix eventually? Donc la question que j'ai posée, c'est est-ce qu'il pouvait expliquer une, une sorte d'architecture générale de sa théorie en essayant de nous expliquer si c'est un programme de traçage mondial, quel est donc en gros l'objectif du traçage Est-ce est est -ce que c'est de sélectionner, une fois qu'on a tracé les gens, de les sélectionner pour une, une survie, on va dire savoir qui vit et qui ne vit pas, qui vit avec une maladie et qui ne vit pas avec une maladie. Et, et dans ce cas, est-ce qu'il a, il a vu des preuves quelque part qu'ils ont déjà des antidotes, c'est-à-dire des, des, par exemple des vaccins pour le, contre le cancer ou des vaccins contre ces maladies extrêmement dégénératives dont il, dont il a parlé Um, it's uh, Q-level, above Q-level clearance uh, with the Department of Energy. I believe it dates back to the Manhattan Project, nuclear project, but I believe it was repurposed for the bioweapons. Um, and it is what's known as a secure access program. So it's even above uh, the Q-level type clearance, the highest level of clearance, that only people with a need to know are a part of the program and they're read into the program uh, selectively. I believe it's a loose uh, cabal, if you will, between the Atlantic Council and people in NATO, as well as 
folks in our in intelligence agencies working on behalf of uh, some very powerful people. Uh, so it's a small group, I believe, uh, but I do believe it is a cabal. We believe it uh, would include people like John Brennan of the CIA and Wesley Clark of the CIA. Uh, we've on my Substack, you'll see the very high-level uh, people in NATO uh, that I believe involved in the program. Uh, but it's bio agents by their very nature, as Charles Rixey said, are very top secret, uh, very tightly controlled, and uh, they don't want the mark of the war criminal. Uh, so no one wants this mark of the war criminal, so they'll use proxies uh, to avoid uh, the mark of the war criminal. Uh, but everyone remembers the Nazis uh, and Saddam Hussein and other people who've used these type of weapons going back to World War I. So um, it is on the highest level of security, but I do believe the program is very active, and it is called Operation Blackjack. Donc, ce qu'il a expliqué, c'est un programme extrêmement, on va dire, euh, sécure et qui est, dont l'accès est réservé à un groupe assez petit euh, qui est constitué de gens de l'OTAN, du Conseil Atlantique Général et euh, des membres des, des services secrets. Il pense que c'est... Euh, donc, il a nommé John Brennan et Wesley Clark, qui sont des, euh, des Américains... Et, et des membres de l'OTAN, et donc il a dit que c'était un, un programme qui était assez semblable sur les, les problèmes qu'on a connus à la fin de la Deuxième Guerre mondiale, et que donc euh, c'est un, un programme qui est actif et, euh, et qui est probablement trans, transnational jusqu'à un certain point. Thank you very much. C'est fini. <rire> uh... I was invited and I didn't quite have a question. I just wanted to thank every one of you guys. Uh, Pinsoli, I sent you a little bit of uh, information at the back end as well. Uh, you know, I am one of the uh, top, uh, I guess you could say, uh, contributors to some of the conservative networks as well. And uh, I ended up, you know, helping uh, a lot of the people that were doing the lawsuit against Twitter and the medical censorship. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm the founder of medicalcensorship.org. You know, I'm a former television producer and communications manager and strategist. Um, I was managing some of the most reputable figures in the medical freedom. As early as 2020, I helped uh, people like Dr. Richard Urso, uh, lots of incredible figures that you guys probably haven't heard quite often because it takes a lot of time uh, to do the boots on the ground and, and get a lot of the coordination. Um, I had no intentions to be speaking here uh, publicly. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of constant uh, headline contribution to some of the top conservative outlets like War Room, Newsmax, Real American Voices, um, Infowars, Lindell TV, One American News, Americano Media, Right Side Fox, and many others as well. Uh, so basically it's what I do. So I didn't have a question. I was uh, I was invited to come in here to uh, encourage you guys to uh, strategize at the journalist level because it took me uh, quite a while to get the journalists to feel comfortable uh, to, to spread the word about what was 
uh, being said to the counters of what FDA and CDC. So I recruited uh, a vast majority of doctors and Dr. Richard Urso. I collected about 25,000 signatures uh, of physicians and scientists uh, against the vaccination. So uh, in essence, uh, we're going to continue to fight and we have to uh, keep moving forward. And my encouragement is uh, for you guys to have citizen journalists, you know, create the content, uh, you know, stay in touch with your physicians that are being slandered and ridiculed. Um, I had to uh, scramble up uh, to create uh, thousands of counters to headlines and, and create our own headlines and uh, provide almost the written articles for people to uh, hear the side of the story that was being censored. That's, that's kind of in a nutshell. Donc, euh, ce qu'a dit Carolina, c'est qu'elle vient de, de l'environnement journalistique international conservateur euh, aux États-Unis et qu'elle a, elle a contribué à, à produire euh, énormément de contenu euh, pour euh, témoigner des, des, de ce que faisait la, la FDA et la, CD, et la CDC aux états unis en particulier avec le docteur Urso, qui est assez connu des gens qui euh, participent au space américain. Elle a recueilli euh, jusqu'à 25 000 signatures contre le, les vaccins, qu'elle est extrêmement active et qu'elle elle encourage euh, le journalisme citoyen, je pense que, que George aussi euh, encourage et euh, et de, et de contribuer, de continuer à travailler avec les médecins et les scientifiques qui sont autour de vous, et de contribuer en tant que citoyen à faire tout ce que vous pouvez faire de manière journalistique, même sans être un journaliste officiel, pour essayer de continuer à se battre et, et, à, et à arriver à une forme de, de justice par rapport à cette, cette extraordinaire circonstance dans laquelle nous sommes depuis quatre ans. Thank you so much, Carolina. Uh, and to have at a university setting, I was the first person to host uh, the vaccine injury conferences, and now we have uh, vaccine injury conferences. I broke it down into specialties, so uh, all of the doctors that are signed to uh, medicalcensorship.org, you can find them uh, in, in break it down into specialties. So, for example, the research and the studies of cardiology will be in that department. Uh, so we now are asking for the physicians to step up and uh, help us uh, treat all these people that are being injured. Donc elle a organisé une, une liste de médecins par spécialisation qui permet de, de trouver par la spécialisation dont on a besoin des médecins qui vont soigner et qui vont produire des services médicaux dans, dans les domaines nécessaires. Merci beaucoup, Carolina. C'est exactement ce qu'on essaie de faire aussi, c'est d'apporter de l'information euh, aux Français, enfin, au, du moins aux francophones, euh, du moins de l'information internationale. Et c'est ce qu'on essaie de faire justement en rassemblant des experts sur ce type d'espace de, de, euh, sur Twitter. Donc, euh, je vous remercie beaucoup pour votre commentaire et pour, euh, et pour euh, toutes les informations que vous nous avez données. Uh, Dopa, tu traduis, s'il te plaît. Thank you very much for your questioning and all the work that you do in terms of journalism and cooperation. And thank you for making us aware of all the work that has been done as well. Merci beaucoup pour votre effort. Thank, you, rien, George. thank you very much for all your efforts. Yes. Oui, merci <laughs> Donc, uh, that's the end of the space. Uh, C'est la fin de ce space. Uh, je, vous avez compris quand même qu'il y a des éléments tangibles, scientifiques, concrets, uh, qui permettent d'affirmer que le SARS-CoV-2 est bien d'origine laborantine. Uh, 
Euh, il y a eu beaucoup d'échanges scientifiques extrêmement intéressants, euh, que ce soit sur le site de clivage furine ou euh, encore les propriétés amyloïdes euh, de la spike, mais ça c'est un peu mon violon d'ingre. Euh, je remercie tous nos intervenants, vraiment, euh, d'avoir participe d'avoir participé à ce space et il se fait tard je suis désolée euh, dopaminergique si tu peux conclure yes. et donner ton mot de la fin thank you very much to all the guests and the participants thank you for your patience in me translating and having some buggery around alternating between French and English uh, my apology to uh, the doctors who were uh, far more Uh, far too competent for my poor uh, translation skills. I tried my best. Um, hopefully, uh, Elon Musk helps us with a synchronicity in translation. That would be ideal. I've been wanting this for a very long time. And uh, I wish that international uh, spe English-speaking people would participate more in uh, other spaces so that, that that information about what you do, which is so important, actually reverberate into other uh, countries, in particular in France, where it seems that we are extremely remote from all the stuff that um, is going on both in the UK, in Japan, in Asia, in Australia, in the US, of course, especially in the domain of both the science, but also the legal uh, pursuit that are going on, and also the treatment and the help to patients. So thank you very much for uh, at least attempting that and joining us tonight. I re really much appreciate this. Je croyais que Dopa voulait traduire en français ce qu'elle venait de dire. Ah oui, pardon, J'ai parlé essentiellement aux participants anglophones, puisque c'est. Mais effectivement, donc, je les ai remerciés d'avoir participé et d'être patients avec les traductions qui sont vraiment assez lourdes à faire quand il, il s'agit de, de traductions techniques et que malheureusement, ça peut bugger un petit peu de temps en temps et que donc c'est très important que ce genre de participation internationale se passe à la fois au niveau journalistique, au niveau scientifique, au niveau légal, parce qu'en fait le manque d'informations de certains pays fait qu'on a l'impression qu'il ne se passe rien, alors qu'en réalité il se passe énormément de choses à la fois dans le domaine scientifique, mais aussi dans le domaine de thérapeutie et dans le, dans le domaine judiciaire. Et donc c'est très important que même si on a des barrages de langue, on essaye de participer quand même à des spaces internationaux. Et je les remercie de, de cette participation. Merci, merci beaucoup à toutes les deux. Moi, je suis restée très silencieuse parce que sinon, j'aurais eu beaucoup trop de questions. Euh, merci à, à, à tous les intervenants. Scientifiquement, ça a été extrêmement riche. Euh, je pense que nous devons, en fait, nous arrivons à voir que nous devons nous battre sur tous les fronts en même temps, c'est-à-dire sur les bases scientifiques, les preuves scientifiques qui vont aider le judiciaire, mais qui vont aussi aider la population à comprendre, et ça, ça se fait via l'information. Donc merci à tous les journalistes et puis euh, bien évidemment aussi qui peuvent aussi nous aider en termes de base moléculaire pour les traitements. Donc il faut être sur tous les fronts en même temps, c'est compliqué, mais euh, en étant euh, en lien tous ensemble, international, c'est déjà plus simple, c'est déjà plus facile. Ça c'est la première chose que je voulais dire. On se sent, on se sent ensemble, on se sent plus fort. Et la seconde chose que je voulais que je voulais dire, c'est que euh, 
J'espère je, que nous aurons à nouveau Georges Webb, parce que je sais qu'il a fait énormément d'investigations euh, euh, sur les armes biologiques, mais pas que celles-ci, et que nous pourrons discuter des armes biologiques précédentes euh, dans, dans, un, dans un futur espace. Je peux traduire Dopa, s'il te plaît Oui, c'est pas, pas de problème. Un amour, merci. Ok, donc uh, uh, Tiffany Pinsol said that uh, Dr. Pinsol said that she was uh, very grateful to all the guests that uh, showed up, and then she was she was very quiet. Otherwise, she would have had really a ton of questions. Um, but it was uh, very scientifically rich, even though uh, it was sort of limited to a very specific aspect of some of the question due to the complexity of the subject. And that she does think that if we are together, we're stronger, both journalistically. Uh, scientifically, and that the the proof of uh, the, the scientific proof are necessary in order to get to the truth, but also to get to the therapeutic um, elements that we need to help uh, so many people who are ill. Um, finally, she uh, she was hoping that we would have more time with George, maybe separately on the on a specific um, uh, space, uh, talking essentially about biological weapon, not just the SARS one, but perhaps preceding ones that are also very important for the, uh, the general audience to understand. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy yourself and take care of you. Merci à vous, Valentin. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Thank, Thank you. Very much, Thank you so much for the invite. Doing an excellent job translating. Um, I think it's really, really important to yeah just talk about this, spread information, keep people informed, and human can achieve uh, great things. I think if we uh, we work together, um, and we should keep in mind that this is really a small group of humans that make these very dangerous viruses. I think there can be successes in controlling them. And um, thanks so much for spreading this information and keeping people informed. Um, if you are interested in a bit further information, I also have, you just type my name into YouTube. I made a video, which is also a bit scientifically complex, but I, I try to explain these um, processes and our paper and other strong evidence for SARS-CoV-2 origins in more detail. Have a great evening or morning, wherever you are. And thanks so much for the invitation. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir à tous. Thank you very much. Au Have a good evening or day. Have Thank a good evening. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Au revoir. All right, folks, that's the end of the uh, space. Um, yeah, this tech seemed to work quite well. So, um, what did I think? Um, it's always a little difficult when you're working two languages, but it's not uncommon. So, I've had to sit through a few like that in Japan. France, too, actually. Um, very good subject. Very nice to see uh, Dr. Patel in there representing their paper. What I found interesting was um, he did get say, 
audited by his institute. And again, this leads us to the very disturbing conclusion that uh, the academics that we've put into these uh, cosseted positions are not fit for purpose if they won't stand up. And well, I, would, I would sack them all. Um, I've asked Charles if he wanted to hop on. Um, he said he's tired. Um, I've been up all night. Uh, there's anything that people want to go through or um, the subject? Um, seemed stay on topic of course couple of pipes in there I'm still buying yeah, he your data doesn't fit all places then it doesn't be adjust so I think what else was yet yeah, there was an interesting part about the it was clear check 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 dipping one, two, one, two. No, you must be mistaken, sir. It sounds perfect. Um, let me just uh, this uh, impose myself, Nick. Uh, I'll see. Gone to bed, probably. <laughs> I don't blame him. Yeah. Wait for that. There's a Zoom link. That's man. Ah, oh, it's cool. Um. No, I don't think so. It sounds perfect. The I can see the levels. Well, you're dreaming, sir. All right. Yeah, you see, Scooby Snacks up. Um. You believe the next one will occur and what will it um look i i think they've played their hand with pandemics right and you're in the you're in the war phase now the hot war and you know i had a 
story ready for um regular streaming and the cutting it out on both rumble and wt oh yeah it looks perfect it's not saturating audio is clipping out here which Let me let me just unplug the phone. Maybe that's it. A bit better now. Gets muted for a moment, then continues. Um, I think it's probably mic's a little far away from my face. It should be like that. Tell me if that's better. Clipping. Ah well, I'll finish up then. Now you have echo. I don't know. Uh, nothing. Nothing's changed except I had the phone plugged in. Good now. Yeah, maybe it was the phone. Uh, whoever says clipping was wrong. Um, yeah, you can see it's not clipping. Oh well, you can't. Look. Roll one, no pufters. There, on the screen. Look, you see that? Oh, you can't, right? It moving a bit small, but uh, it looks good. See, for some reason, I don't know why, but green doesn't pick up, and I don't know if it's the encoding that does that, but um, it's fine. Carry on. Um, I call in Nick on. Hey, how are you? Hello. Nick? How are you, sir? I'm well. I'm fine. How are you? It's been a while. I know. You sound a little quiet, though. Um, get close uh, to that mic. I've got uh, the mic right in my mouth. Let me turn it up a bit. Um, I'm in pretty good shape here, and uh, yeah, on the, it might be the That's setting. Good. That's good, right there. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, your thoughts on the space? Uh, so I didn't, I didn't attend the. I wasn't able to attend the entire thing. I had a call for the first part, and I joined for about the last, I'd say, fifty percent of it. Um, and I appreciated uh the tone. I really appreciate any time that there's someone who will make the effort to bridge uh, language. It was yes. a very interesting comment to hear from the French team or the, the French attendees that they feel isolated, considering how much we, you know, we feel like in the Western world that we see what's happening in France and riots in the streets and things like that. So, um, but that was, I think, encouraging. Uh, and those are some of my first thoughts. Uh, what What did you take away? Um, well. Of course, it's always 
a little um i don't want to say disjointed because that's not fair but because of the um translation but the um the, the topics covered were were good um again there's this uh everything was an illusion feeding in uh usual suspects and you know I, it's it's such an american centric look at the data um that mm, i don't know i just uh, i just kept my mouth shut in that particular instance and talked about you know what we do know clinically and it's not like it's not like data isn't still coming out um refining what we know about the pathology and the the extended excess death it's yes uh we could put that at the feet of the gene transfection maybe um i think it's i think it's a very very complex um picture let me the lady who ran the space to dm me is peeing is a uh, dming um so to sort of do the compare and contrast, it reminds me a little bit of Beatrice Hahn and Michael Warby and their crew starting off around the world looking for chimp shit and trying to build arguments that because SIV is found in chimpanzees, that somehow they are able to finagle traditional phylogenetic reverse dating you know evolutionary reverse dating models in the computer to account for hiv and give it a very precise crossover date of somewhere from 1920 to 1930. um it it feels like again there's more there were there were uh, undertones of uh I haven't seen an isolate of a synthetic virus that I've just, that's really when, when the German guest made that comment, um, I was very frustrated because, you know, my specialty. So I, I, I feel like, well, there's a whole lot that you're unaware of. And uh, it makes me very grateful at the same time to have had these meaningful conversations with Chris Newby and with Johanna Deinert and with, Charles and with others in uh, coming soon, Judith, Judith Very Baker on the SV40 topic, uh, which is not a nothing burger. Uh, and that was another piece of it that I, I didn't know if I should try to get a mic or, or jump in, but you're right. The tone, because of the, the translation bridge, it was nice to um, take it slow, uh, be diplomatic, be grounded, but some of the, like when at the end, finding out that that German guest was a technologist, not a biologist, was for me, that immediately puts him in a different classification. I'm like, it doesn't mean you can't have an opinion on science. Look at me. Hello. I've got lots of opinions, but um, they have to be based. And then to come forward and to say, I'm unaware of a thing, so it doesn't exist. That just rubs my fur the wrong way. And um anyway so those are some yeah and it, you know it's a i've come across it a few times where they say that they're unable to recapitulate 
the disease. And that's just patently false um, in primates. There's at least 150 years of evidence of the transfer of disease. And that's, you know, that's how we got into virology and epidemiology was fiddling around with, hey, let's take some of this snot and give it to this child. And hey, look at that. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, well, it's, you know, the, the problem is like, so someone like an engineer thinks that everything's got to act like a machine. Right. And biology doesn't doesn't do that, right? The blurry at the edges. Right? So you get cohorts. Some people are more sensitive to noxious stimuli in the environment and others can just breeze on through. And um the fact that you perhaps have been lucky, right? You've got that survivor bias that um, that there isn't a problem. I think is, uh, it's a very frustrating position. Take that. I think we have to. I'm, I'm sympathetic to the argument of at a at a medical level, we drop the ball in terms of treatment and what have you. If it had just been left alone and doctors were allowed to do what they'd always done, then maybe the impact that was initially seen wouldn't have um the fact that there was, on that point, the fact that there was incentivized corruption documented, we can still go out and get current payment tiers. That if just like, just like the vaccine percentiles, that you get different graduating annual bonuses if larger and larger uh, percentiles of your patient base in your practice have a full vaccination schedule. The same thing was occurring with the cert certain protocols in certain hospitals. The fact that that occurred, you know, I mean, that's that's where uh, was it an accident? Was it a hmm? was it a whoops? Uh, or was it a big psyop just for big power to grab hold of more power? Uh, I, I I think I think I disagree with that. I think it's reductionistic, um, and whether or not people are capable or or confident to dive into these uh, details about biology, about what we're seeing in patient outcomes, um, about the, the slow burns, the prionogenic issues, um, which didn't come right away like the cardio and the clot issues. Um, well, I mean, they, we, we see trends, but now we're seeing how, now we're in the game of how do we trust our data, when we, where we get our data. Does does someone have to go through death certificates and reconcile that against public tables? You know? Seems so. You need a uh, John Perdwan. Yes. Do May it. we? Yes. And I don't know. I think I think I might um, agree somewhat with. I do think that there was iatrogenic. Injury, you know, I just um, arm deaths, and you know that it it was 
you remember the Dr. Al Sidel? And he there was like... There so many. So he, he popped up very briefly as the... Um, the, the wave hit New York, right? And there were all these emergency doctors going in there. And he... Oh, no, he, I didn't keep track of all of those. Uh, was he on TV a lot? No, oh, no, he just put uh, out on a youtube channel not many people saw it and he was like we're using the we must be using the wrong settings uh, right and th that's that's actually true what they were doing so they were treating it they were setting the settings like you would for a regular pneumonia and that's not what they were dealing with they were actually had coagulopathy and um the microvasculature was blocked so it couldn't couldn't really take the pressure that they were that they would use for like mucosal pneumonia where your lungs are filling a bit with fluid and they blew people's lungs out and he he was making a point that hey there's there's something wrong here we're doing we're not treating it right and he was and he made the point that he, the happy hypoxics right that people were going down to sort of 80 below 80 percent oxygen saturation and they they seemed fine and you know did they really need to go on to ventilation and you know so there, there was there, financial incentive to do so yeah and that's really really an american um, phenomenon. There's very few countries that are set up to um, operate like that, particularly when you have I don't know, national services, etc. No, no one's getting. Well, so, so speak about that for a moment, would you? Um, uh, and first of all, everyone that's listening right now. Uh, please we're talking about things that are very fresh in all of our lives and we're making reference to clinical situations that you may have be you may be in the middle of or you may have just gone through and we're sorry we're not we're not intending to be callous here um you know we're just trying to get to the meat um but kevin would you talk about nhs and its uh susceptibility or in other word accessibility to public review and change can the public make a referendum about something as simple as a protocol and force the um, the standard of care as it would be in, in the UK? Yes. Um, oh, jeez. Uh, again, the, um, there wasn't, they weren't getting extra money for putting people on ventilator in the UK, okay. right? Okay. So um, I have to make the presumption but I think that I think the UK did what Sweden did, and they were expecting uh, ICU beds to be in very short supply. Um, they basically killed off the elderly, wouldn't give them oxygen. Um, they had shamefully do not resuscitate on people who were physically or capacitated um 
there were all, there were all sorts of top down decisions made and you know i do i do think now we've got some hindsight that it was used or they were trying to implement um towards a new uh control system sure. uh, and but there's there's far too much clinical evidence for me just to ignore can't just ignore that and say it was all just um doctors killing people on instruction because they they wouldn't but they couldn't do anything else. now you know there there were terrible terrible decisions like not to give antibiotics um that type of thing and you know yeah, there's that a... could have just been a fauci little fauci frosting like we got uh, that we weren't allowed to use the the biotrim um for pneumocystis when you know it was known that that in certain cases that it that it was quite effective and we lost a lot of people and and I, and I think the intent was to burn through the community it was how effective can this deployment be and they saw all of the manifestations that we're seeing in all of the clinical variability of patients today you know some with uh cancers because they had a strong oncolytic uh, or oncogenic infectious burden others with uh, an exacerbation of autoimmune problems which cascade into other things and everybody seems you know including 16 year olds at the peak of their health are susceptible to the cardiac issues so i, I agree with you wholeheartedly there this is this is not about spooking people into digital currencies or anything like that the fact that forces are attempting to push attention away from um you know again we 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 focus a lot on us department of defense but we also are very fair to acknowledge that it's a transnational uh network that has been involved in these activities and plans for many many years if if we're talking about club of rome population reduction anything along those lines but it it's it's clear that it wasn't just a financial regulatory control preparation that there was a long 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 lead time on covid uh, lab work and that they've looked at which strains of covid are for those of you that haven't heard me go on and on about this before uh, for years since the 70s they've looked at which specific strains of covid within an annual outbreak within a country um, affect the population the worst they're looking for pathogenicity and and efficacy is one of the words and one one way of, of viewing that which is how most people will prefer to look at it is to say oh we need to know which strains are the most dangerous so that we can target those with vaccines that's been you know that's been the the lullaby that we've been lulled to sleep with all these years um, and then the other side of that is a very slow and careful zero sorting of phenotypes of candidate viruses which can then be examined more specifically for why is this particular variety effective or cause this particular problem in the Spanish genome or the Chinese genome, et cetera. 
and here we are with those those recent findings <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's amazing to me um I, i'll do a stream about it but um okay. robert malone um he's he's listening to me i'm sure i'm i'm sure of it because uh on his latest um oh what are, what are they called i've i've spoke to her she's a nice lady American something. Uh, does she have like a red, white, and blue icon? Are you talking about her, her, tw her Twitter handle? Uh, she does um, oh. uh, use. Okay. It's, uh, it's her and her husband on a. New American Magazine. That's what they're called. Okay. And Robert Malone has, you know, because RFK has breached the public consciousness about, say, um, how, how it's theoretically possible to leverage against particular phenotypes. And um, the, it's it's observed, folks. It's hmm. it's it's the the isolates that were differentiated, just like the initial India paper, which found what were there six primary subclades that they saw they saw around the world, and that the U.S. had all six of them. Um, it, it's an observed part of scientific history that uh, in any type of a pathogen, uh, there are, as we've talked about, swarms and subtypes and, and subclades, and there are genetic biases that relate to the, the host phenotypes. That's, that's just science. That's not, that's not bias or bigotry or anything. That's, that's what's very frightening is that how much information is in the literature about that um, and could easily have been leveraged long before the Human Genome Project. You know, they had a pretty good database since the 30s. Well, Warp speed with the human gene, and sure. and for sure, it's a, um, a a primary feature. It would be a primary feature of bio warfare program. You wouldn't wouldn't not do it, right? Because you've, you'll make up the excuse that you've got to find the countermeasure. That would be their thinking, but as a consequence, they they continue to pry open. Pandora's box and get more and more gems dropped on our laps. But continue what I was saying about Robert Malone. Um, he now now talking. Um, Israel is one of these states doesn't has the capacity, but doesn't um, doesn't abide by any treaties that. And I, I actually liked what Dr. Vital said in the in the space that, you know, nuclear weapons appeared on the scene. There was there was published pu public pushback. And it it had a, a role in de escalating the the Cold War. 
um i can, I can remember uh, there used to be women that would chain themselves the place that lived it's called Greenham Common and why they would pick that one yeah it was because um so cruise missiles were emerging onto the scene yeah. right okay and nuclear cruise missiles and so the the issue was that they they hug the terrain so you don't know when they've been launched and so it sort of blurred that line again where you want to be able to see what your opponent is doing um there was years and years of They were, they were primarily women would would chain themselves and do all sorts of things and it used to be a thing on the news every night that they would um apply pressure and you know the I can remember the treaties being signed in Reykjavik Glasnost and uh and a sense of relief. I mean, you know, having grown up in the Cold War as a child, young, adolescent, adult, um, the I can remember it was a palpable relief when that all started to wind down. Um, and I, I, I don't see the so, the, you know, there's this argument from the panda types, right, that somehow if you accept the fact that these agents exist, it provides carte blanche for them to uh, deploy any and all um, tyrannical methods of control. I don't think that has to be the case. Um, if we have a strong public... Outrage, yeah, outrage. Why not outrage and pressure against governments, organisations? And we can look at we can look at the current state of affairs and say, hey, these are government institutes which drove a lot of what we just had to uh, endure over the last three years. They are they are subject to pressure from the electorate and the people, and they <laughs> say no. When they want to try and um, in, in, they say no, but you know, if at, at a central level, if they do implement IDs and um, changes to currency, which I'm sure is coming, then um, you know you're going to have to comply with it somewhat, but. Yes, but think about the human spirit. Think about the last 300 years of history, let alone what we know, um, in response to those kinds of changes and what the arc is. 
you know, it's it's the basis for all of the hero movie uh, uh, scripts, really. The oppression of the big bad, the uprising of the good, breaking through the badness with the light, the triumph of the underdog. You know, it's it's from my Greek ancestors to your Italian ancestors, um, who did a very fine job of emulating all of the Greek, uh, uh, you know, archetypes. Thank you very much. Uh, they, they, it's, it's always been there. And, and right now, um, I, it does feel like there's some folks out there that are trying to say, uh, let's just give in. Mm, it's, it'll be easier if we well, just. Well, that's, mm. that's what we have seen though, right? We saw, but that it, it came up in the, the space, right? That have, yeah. have we, have they already achieved what they wanted to? And they were asking George about. Um, who's behind this, etc. And I would, I, I think it's a fair premise to put forward and say, well, look, um, they got vaccination rates of eighty percent. They got people to, they, they achieved many of their goals. Um, they didn't achieve all of them, and I honestly think that that's because of pushback from people who disruption yes yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it doesn't matter which particular um ledge on the cliff that you're pushing from whether it's the iatrogenic or the lab origin etc all of that has has permeated into a political discussion it's there um Australian guy, uh, Senator Rennick, I think his name is. Yes. Yeah. And, and the uh, Canadians, the Canadian inquiry, let's make sure that we give kudos. They've been, they did it for weeks and weeks. They had their testimonies and they put all kinds of important data on the federal record. So hats off. Yeah. And so, of course, they're going to learn from that as well. Um, sure whatever they try next time i mean you know it would it would be really i would be disappointed if their next attempt sort of mass population control is climate change it's too hot can't go outside lickspill boiling there's too many there's too many good memes by the <laughs> way did your kids stay in bed did they go back to bed Eventually, but God damn it, dude! Oh. When we were talking, one thirty in the morning. <laughs> well, was it Dad's voice on a call in the middle of the night that was no, no? Okay. It was. Um, they'd bought some LED lights, like the hundred oh. yen shop, and so they would just trying to put yes. them in different patterns. <laughs> in the dark, it's much more fun. Why are you yeah. going to do that in the day with the right, sun? Right, right, right. No, so. no, no. I mean, it's school okay. holidays, so I'm not. Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah, I didn't hear you going cranky ogre on them, which was very nice because nah, cranky no. ogre dad at one in the morning is uh, that can be kind of rattling. Yeah, um, but the they shouldn't be up at one thirty. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I'm I'm too I'm too uh, easy with them. Yes. My father. I, I, no, I, I don't, I don't, I disagree. I'll bet you give them lots of structure. I'll bet you give them a very decent shake at autonomy. 
Um, I've heard your politics, so I know, you know, that you're going to be watching and listening. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, you know, there, there are too many, I'll say this, there are too many friends and people that I've met in life that complain about the unrewarding, unfulfilling, unemotional connection with their dad. They've got daddy issues. So many people have daddy issues. There's an entire field of, of therapists out there who have, you know, summer homes in the Hamptons, you know, paid for by those problems. And uh, if you give your kids the sense, one, that they're safe, whatever it is, this big adventure, they don't know, they don't know living in Japan from living anywhere else. That's what they know. But this, this experience of their childhood and who mom and dad are and what your world is and the things you let in and out, if you're guarding all of that, they're going to be just fine. Um, and okay. I, I liked, I really like the interactions that I see with, with any time they come in the room, who you switch into, um, it's really nice. There's a lot of people who would be jealous to have that kind of a connection with their dad, to have a dad with a gentle hand. Um, and you're not, you're not in absentia. You're not unaware of the things you just don't, um, crush them, you know, with a fist. It's not British boarding school for them. Uh, so. and I consider that one of the mass failings of the country that I came from. The the stream I did last week with uh, Johnny, um, it was really nice to actually sort of speak to someone from what would be like an equivalent background, mm -hmm. sort of social strut, I would say. And, you know, he's got the same visceral hatred uh, that I have, yeah, of, of just the the upper class dances that um, Britain is full of, and we are um, replete with child abuse. So it's a massive cultural failing in the UK. The problem is it's concentrated in the upper classes, and I don't know if if it's a sort of how they maintain the power structure. But Johnny, Johnny knows it. Johnny recognizes it. Everyone, you know Jimmy Savile, right? Aye, aye. Yes, <laughs> unfortunately, yes. So, you know, we... Britain is loaded with people, many of them... BBC and you might have you, yeah you joined a discussion right yeah for the last half yeah. I was there yeah I yeah Johnny and I are besties now yeah and um but you know there's there are sort of British institutions you can look at um famous it's BBC Centre, and I want to say it's in Manchester. And it's just covered in paedophilic artwork. Like, really, really overt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's right there. In the yeah, right, yeah, right in your face. And um, I've, I've met many who came through that sort of Oxbridge 
network, right? And yeah, that, none of them. Did was they smart. have lots of pictures of Thai holidays? Thai holidays? I mean, like Singapore. Thailand? Yes. Um, not so much. I mean, the thing that used to just irritate me was um, the superiority complex that they often right they they did just think that they were cut above rest but you know when it came to like day-to-day handling i i watched so many just melt away they couldn't handle the pressure of the being a monkey every day like the dirty end of the the job and um but they still got rattled up the the hierarchy because because they'd been in those systems that that frustrated me and and again the reason why is that they're they're all part of that in a augury boy club and um Use it. Own method. Does everybody's business get out in the UK? I don't mean you have to live in London to get in the tabloids, but if you if you run amok in your village, can you just go to the other end of the country? You know, go from Scotland to Brighton uh, and start over, or does everybody know where everyone's business? I mean, nowadays with the internet, probably. Uh, when I was a lad, make fresh start. Oh, I did. Okay. I did. And I, I guess it depends what it is you do, right? Sure, sure. If your face gets in the paper, if it goes local or national or whatnot, okay. And a lot depends on what, how in favor you are with the state. And that's in in Britain. It's the newspapers and media, the strong control mechanism. Oh. When they're going to destroy you, they they destroy it very publicly uh, in the newspapers, etc. Step out of line, cause problems. They'll they'll throw all kinds of shit at you. Don't care, but that they're all at it. I'm trying to think of a a good example. Well, like I say, it wasn't just Jimmy Savile, right? There was a whole slew of presenters and TV radio type that um, were all engaged in that type of behaviour. Uh, Cliff Richard was a big one um, and I remember it was at the time when the yeah, the Muslims had just been raping, pillaging just a bit too much right that um, people people were beginning to sort of sync up and, then, and actually it was just the internet that sort of enabled that the people in different towns were relaying their experiences and um, 
word word began to spread and as as that story broke um in order to sort of put a lid on it they started to out um all the the british all, all the celebrity weirdos um fetishists okay. and um it and it was all very contrived all very um selective yeah yeah and how the, how they were doing it it was narrative control i could see it back then right mm-hmm. and um I, remember... I was unaware i was unaware of things like that for the most part because i was kind of in trauma so and i was too busy got... riding my bike around the city i got uh on the receiving end of it i, I got on the news um and it was it was stupid thing but it was it was around the this same time right that the muslim rape gangs were going they got the there was a political party called british national party who um they were actually sort of standing up and saying hey hang on a minute we need to uh um we need to do something about this and they were actually beginning to sort of um build neighborhood patrols um i wouldn't say neighborhood control uh patrols but what they were doing was they were beginning to win elections and um they were they were getting organized and having village meetings i remember what happened was i i sort of i knew what had been happening in my local area and what have you and 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 so so to see it sort of emerging and someone speaking out for it and i was in the u.s at the and they did uh so they did one of these um hidden camera type uh investigations it was channel four okay. if i remember okay. correctly and the the they caught them on well they recorded them saying we have a issue with muslim rape gangs and then that fell foul of race laws that had been instituted a few years earlier. So there was a murder in the UK by a black guy called Stephen Lawrence, and it was a, a it was a radical change to English law. That's not the Sinead O'Connor song, is it? No. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. So there was a radical change to English law at that time where they um they instituted the idea of hate crime. Right. So there became a special set of crimes that had extra penalties if there was a Oh, you yeah, know what? A, might a be racial wrong. a racial motivation, a hate a hate motivation based on categorizations. Yeah, and you know, I think that's um those are nonsense laws. You, you you are either assaulting someone or you're not, right? And to add sort that. of extra intent, right? That that the state just abuses that power. And the um, so that well, law in, ca- in the U.S. we've got gradations of severity in the charge. And that would be premeditated and aggravated. And there's even more, you know, there's all sorts of little legal pins that you can add on to that. 
um, to try to mat really you're trying to maximize the sentencing but um, no and I remember when those things occurred in the US Kevin um, I remember feeling a little weird about suddenly being protected you know going from just the sort of the private it was a very private nightmare about HIV for me I didn't talk about it at work I didn't you know I didn't I didn't try to like uh, uh, make that a topic with anybody um and but it was it it was weighing on me you know the damage was there and i was it was just constantly with me so there's a lot of things that i tuned out from but i remember when the laws changed and hate laws and everyone was talking about it looking back you know if i'd had a little more experience in life like 10 or 20 years i might have and and i'd put two and two together with the timing of it remember the 1992 accords in brazil with yeah. Agenda 21, <clears throat> was this the beginning of the ESG era? And oh, know, I think it was right through domestic law, you know, and, and the chances are that it was. Yeah, I think it was. And um, like I say, a lot of this was um, long term plan, march through the institutes. Um, just a quick is, is the sound better? I just changed something on the amplifier, and maybe that's better. Um, were people saying that I was too loud or no 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 um so in order to play the auxiliary in I have wow. to I have to do switch a mode called input mix and maybe that was causing it to um okay. hey raccoons can we get a thumbs up if the sound is okay I, I so you. I just I just flicked it back to what it normally should be um okay. so yeah the, these laws came in and then um th what they did is um they allowed so if if you'd been tried and a, a, in a jury trial and found not guilty the state is not allowed to continue to pursue you um because i i don't know it may, they may think you're a problem it's a control on state powers right you've been found not guilty they've got to leave you alone um they can't um you know you might be a um how should we say a, a political activist right and they might they might dislike your your politics just just as a theoretical and you do i don't know a protest of some form or another that's legal uh but they decide that it's not they're arresting you and um putting you through the justice and that those laws changed as well at the same time and so they were able to continue um they were able to continue to retry people till they got the result that they wanted and all this happened. Um, I, want oh, to... I thought you were talking about pharmacology first. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and this this all happened around two thousand. I can remember, of course, um, nine eleven um, really mixed things up as well. Um, the Patriot Act wasn't just the the U.S. There was a whole bunch of. Um, statutes brought into effect as they uh, 
radically changed the the way that the justice system worked and the um so anyway the the point was you know how do how do they maintain control and so the british national party were getting um i didn't um I wasn't sort of reading their uh, election manifestos and what have you, and it, it was just I sent them fifty quid, dude, right? Just to, just because they were being dragged through the courts, and they you you just accrue charges, right? And I you I, didn't put on your grandfather's uniform or anything. No, nah, nothing, man. Just oh, I okay. I sent fifty quid, right? But it's a political party, so they get uh they get your credit card number and i guess they have to declare it right and, oh, sure. and that um so what they did is is they just leaked all the they said was member lists but it was just anyone who'd given donations money. Yeah. yeah yeah and um yeah that i i made the news six o'clock news the six o'clock news. So, how? What? What point in the arc of your scientific uh, career was this? Was this uh, at the beginning, the middle? Right, at the beginning. Oh, yeah, the I beginning. was. I was okay. like done my sort of PhD, and um, so you were you were trolled as a nationalist. Yeah, that was nationalist, right? Okay, and a nationalist was just something that they couldn't countenance. Right, and this was all yeah. in a time when the EU was really in a in its acceleration mode, right? I but I was I'm old enough to remember when it, the EU was just supposed to be a common trading block between France, Germany, and the UK, and it just kept growing and growing and growing, and any any pretense towards saying hey you know we'd we want to maintain sovereignty we don't want uh laws being made in european you know the uk and the europeans are often at loggerheads um the um but this the, the whole idea of um yeah sovereignty and country was um a target for essentially the same nudge psychological units that we've seen being deployed in the last few years and that are hammering on vaccinology it's got, mm. everything has got to have a vaccine yeah 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 and they um and, and it was a warning right to people that the establishment was basically saying if um any more of you continue to support uh, what they were doing which was just highlighting um this industrial scale rape that was going on in the uk it was i don't know i've heard numbers that may be in the millions but i don't know i don't know if i buy that um but the I watched all that change and I watched I watched the state do all these things and I, I got keyed into it very young. 
and I've just been incredibly skeptical of it. And I remember arriving in the US and I remember thinking it was such a breath of fresh air, right? That there seemed to be these limits, codified limits as to what the government can do, right? And I slowly watched that change in the US over the last 20 years. And it's what, what took essentially 50 years in the UK is, is compressed down now. And the US is sort of, it's, they're pushing the US in that direction that they try to take Britain. And whether they're able to achieve their goals, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I really have faith. I, I know too many good Americans that just, you know, are just suspicious of government, right? It just, you, you have it baked into you. In a, in a clear, well, that, that was for me, I, I was uh, the little flag waving, you know, innocent, naive, naive child uh, who grew up in a very nice upper middle class bubble, a bubble. And what came through on the telly wasn't, uh, didn't rattle any cages, you know, Yellow Submarine. We watched Yellow Submarine every 4th of July, and then we would go and do the, the fireworks. It was a U.S. tradition. Um, you know, it was, it was very, very nice. But the point is, is that um, it, the, the fact that, you know, I feel like a Johnny come lately to the, uh, the history that's there that you can still go friends and go and download from the uh, the Club of Rome website. They've got their entire history of all their publications there, and some of them are free. Um, they they don't hide anything, um, and you can see all of this happening. And the fact that I was oblivious to all of it makes me a little frustrated. It's like, well, I I agree with you that um, there's there's a good reason to be optimistic. And I, I appreciate um, the wisdom in that phrase, it's darkest just before the dawn, because I have experienced it again and again. It isn't a pat, you know, it's, it's not just something I say to, to coddle myself. It's, it, it really seems to happen again and again. You think you can't go any further and you keep fighting and something shifts, something, you know, something changes and the light breaks through. Um, and we've talked just over the course of the year and a half we've been uh, associates about shifting from when is anyone at all in the mainstream media going to say a word, even say adverse events. We were hoping they would just acknowledge that there were adverse events. Now they're arguing about the molecular mechanisms and the chemical signatures and who's got the patents on it. Yep. So it's come a long way really quickly. Yep. Um, but But we know that the mechanisms behind it um, are likely much more significant than just getting ourselves out of the muck of the COVID thing. You know, that there's, there's, other, there's other rounds in the barrel that are oh, chambered yeah. and, and that we need to really be um, uh, 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 cautiously optimistic. But at the same time, uh, we have to think about, anticipate, where is the danger coming from? What direction? Because they're not, it's not going to be the same thing. I, I've been watching the whole UFO thing as they're trying to come out of the closet about the UFO program. And, and it's right on cue. 
it's like kids yes. there's another there's another whole universe in there that you know we could explore someday but it seems to be like more kabuki theater mm, so. yeah very much so and um surprisingly the well pe- people are just nonchalant about it right I, I, when i was a kid it would have just been oh my god ufos <laughs> yes <laughs> that was and now everyone's just uh yeah okay whatever i know they're like oh i'll watch it on youtube later <laughs> right <laughs> and it's you know i don't know what to believe in that space i really don't but i'm very suspicious of anything um you should be you should be that, that there's playing. been a lot of lies there's been years and years and years of lies so lies upon lies and half truths things that occurred to people that really occurred but weren't actually as they were portrayed to be things like that there's so many layers around this and the fact that um you know to bring it down to a ground level kids because we're not going to get into a discussion about uaps right now but the fact that the stanley myers water engine you know the the high efficiency uh hydrogen extractor engine is now showing up in you know little little johnny come lately's uh garage right he's got his motorcycle ch- you know changed out to run off of water you it, it it really helps if you have this plus hh compound in it it really helps the electrolysis process but um is you know that is that's being leaked out around the world and you know zero point energy and uh these universe have you seen these demos Kevin of a bench top device that's about the size of a of a of four slice toaster and they pull this you know like the like a, a chainsaw pull on it and it just starts running and it's a it's an over unity device it produces much more energy than it takes to keep it operating I haven't Have seen, seen it demo? I haven't seen that okay. one send me the link no no the kids oh. are walking oh, I will the kids are walking you through the specifications the millimeter measurements they're showing you everything except milling some of the finer parts um but they're you know right now that's all just spilling out over the sides and these technologies um and patented uh uh we'll say domains have been suppressed at yeah. our patent office at the US patent office just like there are cures that get suppressed because if you go to this patent office and say I've got a compound that you can make out of dirt and chalk and bunny shit and it cures cancer it'll cost two cents a treatment they'll first of all they'll say thank you let's see all of your materials we're very interested you'll submit all of it and then you'll have a car accident and die and your patent will disappear you know that's the kind of shit that's been happening uh, since there's been a patent office yeah and that's a reality but you know we'll by the way um our 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 your new acquaintance i've kind of been talking to him um our our phd patent savant uh down in in florida uh the allison producer um is is interested in the uap conversation and main pain said uh to please include him in that conversation he's quite researched for it sounds like years and years and years and it's always nice to bring um voices of people who are you know who have who have checked and double checked things it's nice to not just get a conversation together with people who are who are wrapped up in it yeah we can uh, we course, can we can switch up and do a uap yeah. and uh you know yeah. i find it fascinating i don't reality is far more complex than um 
most people are led to believe and um you know this they don't have many cards left to play i don't think and you know the True. getting a sort of handle on it, it's it's like uh the molecular biology around stars and all these other things that people have and it's amazing to me right that people sit through hours and hours of science right and because they they want to learn and they're, they're trying to understand what's happening around them and I, i've been amazed at, at that and it's sort of held for um three years and you know the I've said we've got to sort of, okay, we've found ourselves as a, um, I don't know, <laughs> what do they call them? Not bio-layer. What do things bacteria make? Biofilm. Film. That's, that's what I'm looking for. We've aggregated together like a biofilm. Thank world. you for that slow pitch, Kevin, because I'm <laughs> so happy that I was able to come back because I've heard you guys dancing around. And even Charles now with his gosh darn reading, he's getting so smart with all of his uh, biochem terms. I'm like, goodness. Uh, anyway, so coming back to your point. Yeah, so while, while, while all these whales and things are yeah. thrashing around as they try to um, change these systems, which they're obviously doing, um, you know, we sh we need to sort of aggregate together, and um, and we'll navigate through it. And I've I've learned so much just from interacting, and like most of my day is spent trying to read through the. I mean, it's less um, science focused now because uh, you know I think we've just run the the gamut of what's um, what's impacting the public, right? Um, the but you know whatever comes next, the, I, I feel that the community is so um, broad in its experience, and that they'll they'll adapt um, very very quickly, and we will be able to sort what's through nonsense or not. And you know, would they would they really go for like a alien? type war i don't know man that would that would just look bananas to me but who knows uh, there's a there's an advisor who worked with you know you know who we got from the paperclip community that uh, got us to the moon allegedly right so we mm -hmm. have uh, one of on bond yeah i know i know uh, the story that the, 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 carol, the carol rosen story about his warning yeah yeah and that's and that i i at this point it's kind of like you know when i first heard that um, I thought that needs to be uh, verified. And then I realized, you know, she's an eyewitness to uh, a unique scientist and, a his, you know, a person in history. And what reason do I have to, to doubt her? You know, she wasn't selling a whole book about it. She was she was going around and she'd had a very serious career. So that was she was one of the people early on, like finding Colonel Corso's book um, and going, holy crap. Um, this is not somebody who wants to, you know, hook their wagon onto the the Bigfoot UFO American, you know, that that what felt like a silly pastime for two decades at least. Uh, you, nobody would take any of that stuff seriously. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, 
there's real evidence. Uh, it ties back to a very real and human story. But let's make sure that Johanna is there mm -hmm. uh, because I have a feeling that between um, John, uh, uh, you know, our, our Allison uh, specialist and Johanna, there's going to, we're going to crack open a nut that we're all going to be sort of, you know, hoping, clamoring to keep up with. Um, she has uh, some very, very advanced and elegant uh, work on, uh, on, we'll say, um, theoretical physics and propulsion. And I'm not talking about engine design. I'm talking about the mathematics of, of uh, like a spatial flexure, tesseracts, things like that. Um, and I, I can't really fathom it. I, I, I'm, I'm moved by it, but I think she'll be, if, she, if we can get her and align those two, I think that would probably be a really fun uh, conversation. And let's make sure that main pain um, is able to join. Yeah. Joanna's friends with um, Nassim Harriman. Mm. And uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to him. I actually use, a figure of his in presentation that I give. Um, find it real quick. As long as nudged hasn't turned it into a meme, we're safe. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, and I sent I sent a link across on the uh, on the main live stream chat for uh the history of the oss it, it is oss and there there could have been an ons function but i've always only ever known it as the office of strategic services before it got converted thank you mi6 it's way up there it's up uh it's the see people mention lk99 yes that's a big thing that's come out in the last few weeks right room temperature um Superconductors. See the thing for good doggy. Um, I think that's an interesting question. Have I been following Gonzalo Lira as SBU for Scott Ritter trying to split alt media, get personal data for Ukraine Nazis? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I, I'm not sure what to make of that situation i wouldn't have done what he did with doggy like i said if it had been me i'd have tried to get through the i'd have tried to get through to the russian front um and away that way um i, I really don't see the link can you just put it in the discord sure copy link there it is again is this toaster thing huh? oh no that's the oss thing i no i'll look up the uh i'll look up the uh toaster demo let's see uh... roll one toasters. there's two different models there's one that's basically a perpetual motion machine that you begin with a kinetic you know literally a pull you could do it with a simple starter motor 
do the same thing. And then there's one that is the adaptation of the Stanley Myers engine. And he had a car that ran on it. Lots of people emulated it. He found two different aspects in his work um, that were kind of the golden goose, the thing that was difficult to chase down. One is he discussed intersecting um, a set of radio frequencies in the water chamber that that would it, it, that would exponentially increase the amount of hydrogen that was generated. It just it just boosted the process. The other is a compound called plus HH. I don't I haven't seen the chemistry uh, signature for that. But um, John, uh, John PhD, I'll, I'll just call him Allison, you know, for his product. Uh, he said that that's, you know, patented and that's part of the oil industry. They've got that. Um, and they're, they've black shelled it. So anyway, I'm looking up uh, petrol yeah, motion machine. Yeah, I'm sure, sure they have done. And again, a lot of it is just these people hanging on to power. It's the, it's the Oxbridge clique. And they want to make sure they keep their... Their, their snouts in the trough and you know i i yeah. like what charles says which is that you know, the technology it, oh, it's a double-edged sword but um you know it does it does sort of keep the words meritocracy but it does sort of give us uh you know where we think we're at dead ends um the something something pops along something will come along unexpected and change the dynamics that we sound don't hear sound You've been fiddling with your soundboard. I don't know what you've done. Uh, I don't. Yeah, trying to get, trying to get. Are, were you running uh, the Twitter Spaces across the Blue Stacks? No, no, I wasn't using Blue Stacks. I was just plugging okay, the phone okay. output into the auxiliary. I mean, I should should hear sound. This is playing sound. Oh, it's just very quiet. You guys might have been hearing it. And there are some raccoons in the bunker that know all kinds of cool stuff about um, this technology, too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Like Cannibalis Prionosis. He's, he's all into. Food and oh, yeah. Shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the bunker makes me feel like I'm in the gifted class sometimes, and I've got to sit up, you know, pay extra attention. Um, uh, but uh, these these are really, really, really small outcroppings that have obviously made it over the edge. Whether or not um, we can all go and get a big five-gallon bucket of plus HH, it's a powdered, you know, it's a powdered electrolyte that you put in the water that just makes it makes it um, break down easier. And I, uh, we would all, you know, pretty soon we'll probably be able to go and get it at Costco. You know, get your 20-gallon bin to make your home electric generator run. Because they'll just cave in. They'll be like, okay, you took the digital currency so you can have free electricity. You know, it'll be the kind of concession. But these these people have been talking is, about uh, this for 20 years. 
have to say I'm, I'm impressed. Oh yeah, that's why I say this is not one of those little strange. Uh, you know, I saw an anti-gravity. There was, a, I think, a Canadian investigator years ago who claimed to have uh, worked on anti-gravity, and he had some very weird videos that looked looked like he was making a bowling ball float and other objects float. And I was like, okay, that really looks real. How is he doing that? Oh, that's Hutchinson. Um, uh, Yes. 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 And for me, I was affected by the quality of the photography. I I was being a bitch about that. I was like, well, it's not. It could be. You know, I I was very Joe Rogan about it. Um, But these kids, like I said, they they'll show you the materials they used, where you can salvage them, what you can adapt an existing like the water engine. You just need the generator and take off the tank. And you have to go to the frickin' plumbing store and buy about $30, $40 worth of parts, and you can adapt a generator to run off of hydrogen. You know, it's phenomenal. Uh, you don't you don't have to go, you don't need uh, a huge neodymium, neodymium magnet, you know, that cost $800 that you have to get from China. You, you, these aren't exotic adaptations. And the fact that they're adapting vehicles to this is even more exciting. So I think the kids, that, that, you know, the, there are still enough gearheads in the world, enough engineers and technicians and fiddlers. Um, they're going to take to this kind of stuff like wildfire. And I think it'll be sort of the pirate um, counterculture in propulsion. You know, you keep your old car, fine. Let it get all run down and beat up. It doesn't matter. It runs for free. It runs on water. So that'll be one of the disruptive forces that I'm looking forward to. He's got some cool tools. Oh yeah, this doesn't happen. Yeah, you don't you don't just go to the hardware store and do this. They, you it, it uh, if you had a small company that had the basic machining, the, the larger you know expensive machining tools, they could help provide you know mass production of the more advanced parts, and then you know making multiple units and having every house in the neighborhood suddenly stop paying the electric company. That would get someone's attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some skills, man. I've had to do welding and steel cutting. Oh, please, you fiddle with a nuclear accelerator, haven't you? Wow, that by it was the technicians. Of... Oh, okay. You didn't get to push the button. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, I was, you know, make it go, but. There's a whole bunch of people at the back making all the isotopes in real time. and That's some engineering to look at, dude. Well, um, the proof is in the pudding is in the eating. What, you know, what did it get us? Uh, what I did? Well, you know, it was, I, I can look at it and say, oh, it was sort of iterative science we could see the real-time blood flow I guess in the brain and it's not like we didn't know it was there I'll tell you where to keep an eye on with this kind of technology as we sort of bring the plane in for a landing Um, watch Germany the Germans are brilliant 
with uh, geotherm shared, uh, you know, shared collective community heat. Um, you know, they're they're really the and you know, I, I want to go to Germany and study how does a, a nice upper class family design their home water system because they do water science in the home, some of them. Um, but as far as adapting these these kinds of uh, technologies and making them practical, I just have a feeling that we should keep our eyes on, so what's on the German So putting public. on there, a DC modo or something? Uh, yeah, yeah. There have been a variety of different uh, uh, models, we'll say, of this, pr this particular type. So... There's even a salt there's a weird one that I haven't watched the whole thing through and it looks like it's a solid state. It doesn't seem to move. Now that blew my mind. That was more of like a true zero point energy, you know, pulling energy from the vacuum. Um, but I need to go and find that one and check it out. It's confidently tapping. Look at that. Really, yeah. Grant asked, "Watch the Germans," and I said, "Yes, watch the Germans. Watch for their innovation. There, I, I have um, a, not a great number of German friends, but I have some that are, of course, all they're all like, oh, I'm a composer, I'm a DJ, I'm a physicist, and I'm a medical doctor and a botanist. You know, they're all <laughs> they're all polymath, yeah, um, yeah. but um, they're fascinated with this stuff. So, I I thought that was uh, Grant. That was funny." To... Well, he just he's just gonna kick his magnetic flywheel and hmm. okay. Star is it? out what the black thing is. Uh, wasn't it? Uh, well, they didn't. Didn't he have a, a a spec on a lot of these? As they stop and they show you the individual parts, they flash a spec. I've been over on another screen, so um, it's a it's either an alternator or a motor. I think it's. Yeah, I think it's a. Uh, so yeah, there's a reorientation. It's parallel. I mean, this one does require some magnets, but nothing that's uh, you know going to cost you fifteen hundred bucks or something. And this isn't going to run your home, folks. This is a, this is a prototype. So um, it's an excellent uh, example of repurposing existing mechanics, you know, to recycle. Uh, 
And this person did some welding and made a very, very nice, solid prototype here. Yeah, I mean, I'm but impressed by You wouldn't his... have to go through all of it. You would buy, it would be like, you know, hopefully something about as, as big as a VCR. And it gives you the power for your house. This is pulley. Yeah. He was doing a check to show that it was not rigged, didn't have any batteries built into the chassis or anything. And now he's going to give it the mechanical startup. This is where I was saying you just have a little starter motor. Play. Motor pulls just fine. Zip, there we go. So I have a, a very close friend who's just one of those polymath folks um, and we were talking about this he's very excited about the potential uh, he's going to work with someone who's got a machining shop um, I mean I've he's, got, uh, he's got small lathes and milling machines I, I always, well, always just, just dreamed of doing this with us Got right just it. watch them as they improve. Watch the watch as they evolve because they've already in like a year that I've seen these out. That's this quality where they show you end to end. There's better ones that do down to the millimeter. I mean, they basically give you a high level spec as they walk through the video um, and show you all of the recyclable, you know, all, all of the opportunities to reuse parts. Yeah, um, same puts and some load just on getting it. better and better. Um, let's see. Well, well, it's putting out 220 volts. Guppy on the chat is uh, not convinced and has all kinds of technical comments. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm always open to uh, other opinions, but what? On the rumble, on the rumble side. Production, the neon lighting, gameplay, boys. Maybe. Maybe he's just got a fancy workshop. Yeah, I want to see something more. There's, there's been a number of different different models, though. That's the deal. It's not that this is the one thing that I'm hanging my excitement. There have been several teams that have done this, and um, and the water one is a completely different application. But you know, the Myers engine is is there's no sleight of hand there. Yeah, it needs a. Uh RPM counter on it and uh, some telemetry so we can see what the sure I'll, I'll dig I'll find one that's got uh, that's got better detail I mean that, so, if you're stuck in a cave <laughs> sure <laughs> with a machining shop yeah you're you all need set. some light um, the team yeah, I need one. I need to make a machine to make my one to make my reading lamp um, run. The team that bought the Myers 
intellectual property. When Stan Myers died, because Stan and his brother went to have a meeting with two men from the Department of Energy, and they met at a, I forget what it was, one of the American chains like IHOP. And they sat down, and during the course of the meal, Stan got up and used the restroom, came back, drank his juice, clutched his throat, said, I've been poisoned, they poisoned me, went out in the parking lot and fell down and died. Um, the, the family sold the intellectual property a few years later, and the team that bought it in Canada were all dead within two years of the closing of the IP. They immediately went into a research and technology shop. They started, you know, they rolled up their sleeves, and within a year, excuse me, within two years, the whole team was dead. So there, there's big money about stepping on the technologies. Yeah. And that's just really oil and gas is is that that's there's no you know lizard people behind that that's just real simple to unpack. Um but here's the person demonstrating you know and like I said there are other videos that are much better that do basically a component level ground up build um with the exception if they if they recycle a component like an engine or an alternator uh, I don't know if they disassemble it like they're doing here. But they're, like I said, this this was the, one of the first ones that came out. And I was pretty uh, happy with the, the visibility that they give inside the, the device. Half a million subscribers. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. So, when I moved to the US, I was in Philly. I was working for a wine company. Just at the weekends. Extra money. And there was this dude that came in asking for a job, basically. And uh, they found out I was doing my PhD and so he, he wanted he wanted to get into all sort of scientific discussions with me about um how he how he knew that Einstein was wrong and that he'd figured out um relativity properly and he was working on uh, an over over unity engine and oh. yeah and um he, he basically explained to me how they did it and, and the fuel. It was, the, it was the type of fuel and the way that they would detonate it that was the, the key. And so his argument was that... Um, so when you, when you compress a, a gasoline and air, right, it's, it's basically an oxidation reaction under high pressure right and, it, and you get a detonation and there's only there's so much energy that can just be released by that mixture of gases right and he he reckoned <laughs> i don't know if this is true right but he reckoned that he was working with this company um i don't know what it was called like black light something like that and anyway but what they were doing was making um engines 
that would use hydrogen and fluorine, right? And then he said what they did is you would pulse it with um, ultraviolet light and that gives you a free radical type detonation that gives much, much more energy than the oxidative reaction that we rely on with our um, regular engines. I was like, oh yeah, you know, it sounds kind of, you know, I've got an idea of how engines work and what have you. And I was like, oh yeah, it sounds, sounds really interesting. And, um, but, he, you know, it was always, he was like OCD about it. And I remember he'd sort of written me an essay in pencil. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, you got it. It's, it's, oh crap. Yeah, you got a fan. You got a super fan. And you were engaging. And uh, yeah, and, and you bust out your vocabulary. And there you were trapped. And so, uh, oh, it gets real weird though, dude. Oh, uh oh. So he was always there talking about his wife and kids and who were in Malta, etc. Um, always, you know, he had pictures of them in his pocket, and he's always showing them, and always, we sort of talking about them, and it was, it, it was a bit creepy, almost, right? And um, it, you know, it was, it was turning out that he he wanted the kids, but not the the wife, and um, so there, so we figure out that they're estranged. Anyway, one day he. He's in the U.S. and she's in Malta with the family. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, he stole. So this was in a place called the Reading Market, Reading Terminal Market, center of Philadelphia. Okay. And so there were sort of half walls between the stores who were selling stuff, and a lot of the it vendor was stalls. Got it. Um, the Amish people would come into the city to sell their stuff. Right? That I gotcha. Right? Yeah, a bazaar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the he steals the honey, and so he obviously gets sacked. And then the next thing we know, the FBI turn up, and they were like. Well, do you know Ronald Grecula? And yeah. And oh, they didn't. Uh, they weren't asking you about your roots in British nationalism. <laughs> no, no, no. That was fine. People in America just were like, they just that political thing, and just doesn't bother them. It's only a U UK thing where they're like, oh God, and they clutch pearls, right? In the UK, it's so much more yeah. um, uh, flexible with you know how you, how you do your politics, as long as you're not. Um, Sure. Uh, doing anything? There's multiple parties. Hello. And this this dude, right, was trying to get investment, right, for this for this engine that he was going to build. And okay. somehow he got fished by FBI agents because this is just after nine eleven. And um. Oh. 
idea. I wonder if he was like looking for exotic materials or something. No, he was. He offered. Right, he was. This is this is what we were told. He he was reaching out to try to get money. Right, he hated the American government. <laughs> it was visceral for him, and so he was trying to reach out to terrorist group right i don't know <laughs> can't remember oh, the names now i used to i used to know them all but you know what one of these groups in uh don't yeah don't say it you don't want the ai to index that keyword and anyway he's trying to reach out to them and, and get money from them right and he, what what he was intending to do was he wanted that money this is like doc brown and back to the future kevin Kind of. I sold them. Uh, I I sold them an old an old casing with some with some vacuum parts in it. Whatever I forget what he sold to the Libyans. Okay, so he's fishing for for financiers. Yes. He goes to, to uh, Middle East crime syndicates right yeah. after nine eleven. Okay, I yeah, he's a real sharp cookie. All right, right. Basically, the FBI is sort of keyed in on him and and start reeling him in right and you can find his case still online error 27th, 2005. <laughs> Suspect in bomb sale also allegedly plotted for bombing during Super Bowl. <laughs> Pennsylvania man who was arrested last week. I had discussions with him. You know. So, his, so. You wrote the foreword for his book. <laughs> <laughs> Let's read this out. So, so it was arrested last week for allegedly trying to sell a bomb to Al Qaeda. Is now accused of a more sinister plot. An FBI agent has testified that the suspect was ready to make and unleash a radioactive bomb at the Super Bowl. Now that's bullshit. It wasn't a radioactive bomb, right? So his claim was that this mixture, right? If you can compress hydrogen and fluorine and detonate it with UV, just the it's between, he reckoned, like regular explosives and nuclear explosives. It sort of sits in the, the oh middle God. there, right? There's no, um, but there's no radiation. I, I imagine there's a lot of hydrofluoric acid, okay. but. Um, <laughs> well. This is what he, he would tell me, though. And, but, so he's, the, the FBI is stringing him along. Right. And so that, you know, they've agreed to give him money and um, in exchange for how to how to make this bomb. <laughs> and, and so then he, he starts asking that um, they kill his wife. <laughs> oh, you can get it. Oh, just so I haven't read this story. It's good. These are these are bits. And so I, I got called as a witness case you have had a really fun life kevin <laughs> God. 
<laughs> I, I want to find uh... you almost got clubbed in the head by the muzzies when you were a little boy and then <laughs> and then you're and then you're a wild british nationalist and then and then the next thing you know you're uh, being called by the fbi there he is look ronald gracula and you can is, is that is so that... what became of ronald yeah they put him in prison okay they, they banged him up um Atlanta, Georgia, he connected with Flight Delta to Houston, Texas. May 20th, 2005, upon arriving in Houston, Texas FBI Houston surveilled Grecula in the Bush Inter Intercontinental Airport, where he took a cab to the Merry Suites, 300 Ronan Park Place. Once he reached the hotel, he entered room 307. With the... this, is, this is just str straight up movie shit, bro. <laughs> uh, so they've, got, they've obviously got like the room next door. Uh, so with the intent to conduct a meeting with UCA, I don't know who that is, but, um, oh, this is the, the smoking gun, this is the site that has it all, yeah, the site's still going, <laughs> so you can read, yeah, and he, he, he considered himself, um, oh, what's this, Spartacus, he actually, he actually considered himself, uh, Spartacus, and, see he sounds like a kaczynski but then again i don't know if any of us really know kaczynski that well i never read his manifesto but mm. um the fact that he didn't he start at harvard i don't know so here it goes like uh your affidavit has reviewed a prior fbi interview of grecula conducted at or about the time of his arrest on the parental kidnapping oh yeah so he actually tried to kidnap his kids that's right um, during the interview, Grecula stated he experiments with alternative fuels and energy. He was educated as a mechanical engineer and has complete knowledge of welding. Grecula later stated in conversation with CS that all the components used to make an explosive device can be purchased at a welding supply store and makes reference to using a bottle of hydrogen or oxygen as an explosive device. Um, let's see, on May 11th, 2005... Yes, conducted regular consensually monitored telephone calls. Okay, goes on. How much? How much? Okay, how much mass? How much mass can you de destroy with it? Say again. How much mass can you destroy with it? How much mass can we destroy with it? Greg says, how much what? How much mass? What's the area? What's the area we can destroy with it? <laughs> this is the FBI. They totally, uh, they totally catfished him, man. Um. So he says, Gregor says, well, it depends on how big, you know, it's uh, it's capacity, you know, what's put into the capacity. But a one foot diameter device, one foot in diameter, mm -hmm, one foot. Uh, well, remove, uh, you, you put on Florida sand and soil, removes a 20 foot wide crater, four foot deep. <laughs> oh, he'd already <laughs> tested. <laughs> and there's no fallout. It vaporizes the dirt into a gas. And uh, okay, and the floor of the crater is essentially glass lined. It turns everything glass like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Man, I remember having these discussions with him, and when the shop was empty and stuff, and he'd, he'd be talking all about this. <laughs> People just want to bend your ear. Yeah. Um. So he's talking about a hydrogen bottle. Yeah. So if a device like that was ignited under pressure, there would be nothing within 3,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
No, cat. Come on. Away. Look, the cat came to see you, Nick. Yeah. Hi, kitty. Hi, kitty. Um, oh, that's the best kitty in the world. Let's uh, <laughs> see what. Hello. Hello. He's gone now. She's gone. <laughs> if you, uh, you do that, if you do that once a stream, your your viewership will go up. I guarantee you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, a reminder of which: uh, feed the blick today. Tonos have been low this week. <laughs> feed that blick. Um, oh, someone did. Oh, there's been a few. Um, let's see. I want to say thank you to uh, Colleen, Kat, Matt, and uh, McKin. Well, yeah, you know who you are. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. And uh, I'll finish my Gracula story, then I'll go and sleep for the morning. Um, so he goes on to say, I have a, a background in engineering. I've been working in the area of new energy technologies. Some of the energy technologies I've been working with are what they call exponential. The energy output is higher than anything that's known today, but it's not as high as straight nuclear. A nuclear reaction, of course, is more powerful, but this comes the closest to nuclear reactions of any known energy source that's ever been. Uh, and the person says, you have to bring me something, some document, so I can show them to convince that this is something very real, not something, you know, something that is funny, you understand? Dracula says, well, uh, if the technology is heretofore has been developed for use in internal combustion engines and turbines, and so in description would have no relativity whatsoever to what your client will want to use it for. Yes. The other person says, you see, but what, you can't, what can't be supplied is some of the chemicals are elements, the chemical aspects of it and how it works, you see. The interesting thing yes, H, about this technology it's light activated, UV activated, and it's uh, it's what is a hot fusion technology. It's pure fusion. Now these things can be talked about as far as the chemistry, etc., the, the photomagnetic chemistry aspects of it, because it's an elect electrical chemical systems, and it's a matter of making the proper apparatus to contain the gases. And the gases are hydrogen and chlorine glass. We told me fluorine. Um, and light and light is used to activate them and the expansion ratio with the gas is extremely high and the particle velocities are in excess of 750,000 feet per second and mind you <laughs> if you're talking about a simple explosive like say a military C4 or dynamite you find out those particle velocities are under 30,000 feet per second this stuff exceeds 750,000 feet per second <laughs> I want to find the bit where he's talking about killing his wife. <laughs> Man, I, I want to say he got like seven years in prison for this. I mean, he didn't. He didn't actually do any of this. They just. They just caught him. I remember the FBI. Say agent. hi to Karmadoc. Karmadoc just joined us. Hey, Karma, how are you? Hi, Karma. We love you. Happy Friday. Yes, happy Friday. She's dealing with patience. Um. 
have a, the, the FBI agents were like grilling me on, well, you know, what's the, what's the basics of this technology then? And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, from a chemistry perspective, it'll go, it goes bang, right? Um, I just don't know if you could get it under pressure that much before it reacted. But <laughs> there you go, folks. You want to take down? They the were government. asking you to substantiate his his uh, yes weapon of weapon of bigger than well not mass destruction but he, as he claimed it making a crater glass lined <laughs> crater that vaporizes material. Jeez, and they're like Dr. McCarran, please please explain this madman's this mad scientist's uh, designs to us. Yeah, and validate it. Well, he never demonstrated it. He never did it on the on the bar. He never took a jar of this and a jar of that and made it go bang did he not as far as i'm aware and you know that yeah. it does go bang though you can find it on youtube right hydrogen fluorine explosion uv light used to be able to do it uh Mix of chlorine and hydrogen explodes when hit by UV light. So we'll try chlorine. Oil filter first. That's the ring oil. For the first half of the process, so then you go very good. Filter stops. I mean, it goes bang. It went pew. Play it again. Oh, yeah. He's gonna. He, okay, no filter. All right. Oil filter first. Oh. That was it with a Costco water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put that on YouTube. You and I can't talk about biology on YouTube. We can't talk about biowarfare, but we can uh, put little baby steps for uh, kids to become radicalized yeah. and make uh, homemade Costco bombs. Yeah. Jeez. Here's, here's another one. Let's have a look at this one. Pow. I mean, I don't know about the, I mean, it All was right. just a little plastic so bottle, hood, right? We have the hydrogen chlorine yeah. electrolytic gas generator. Get it under free. So if he's talking bar. about at scale, you know, at volume. Yeah, he said a foot by a foot. I don't understand what that means. If that's the device or that's a yeah, so a canister raw materials. Okay. So if you can get it under like actual 200, 300 psi. In this case, in order we're we're getting um, and then almost four volts. Flash your UV to drive three amps through. But I'm trying to think uh, with the I, obviously if he tested it and his claims were actual uh, about the crater, then I was thinking the UV device would get destroyed immediately. So and the, but the reaction would be so immediate it would just it would cascade into the material. It wouldn't the yeah, every, everything be sustained. Just, everything would just be vaporized, as far as I understand yeah, it. Yeah. So fill the test tube. By water displacement. He's going to destroy now, one his hood. very important aspect of this demonstration is that the water, the water bath, and the gas generator have to run for a number of hours before you start collecting the gas. 
because the water that you start out with is saturated with oxygen. And oxygen um, is a catalytic poison. Real for world reaction. cat problems. So, by the way, Karma's uh, router was getting knocked off. She, her, her router got knocked off twice the other day when we were on that big screen. Yes, together. yes, yes. Um, I want to be careful how Meow. much light we expose this to. What's your little black uh, right kitty's name? The demonstration. Uh, Nova. We fill the tube with Nova. Fresh hydrogen and chlorine. Is there are, 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 so you've got two? Are there yeah, either one of them that you actually are? Pixie. Bubbling through it. Pixie and Nova. So hours. is there one that you actually I, uh, can stand to be around, or did they drive? You I like crazy? I like them both. The problem is that low, I'm allergic, uh, so they just make current. my eyes itch oh. and stuff. So. Oh shit. Clears the oxygen. Oh, are they going to be indoor only kitties? Yeah. It also yeah. turns the water in. I mean, okay. they've shredded my okay. wallpaper everywhere. In, yeah. <laughs> the house the was already a dump, also, but it's so the wet chlorine gas now. bubbling through the water bath. Yes, but your kid, aren't your kids just water, in love with the cats? The, water, the kids love the, the cats. And so, if you're wearing yep. any jewelry, yep. it's really, really jewelry, good. They're they're really it's good. Very important to have gloves on or to take it off because. The chlorine I, you know, water I know you joked. You're like, I have a wife, dude. Yeah. And, you know, right I, I didn't expect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you're missing something in your life. I'm just saying that, uh, like, like dogs and you know, all kinds of animals are can be. Yeah, really, I'm not really allergic to dogs, stress. but cats. I, I'm a, not heavily allergic, but like if I'm stroking them and then I touch my eyes or something, I have. Yeah, I've then got to go and wash them out. Different frequencies mm. of light. In the same way with the uh, long grass. Threshold of reaction is. So we're going to start um, with red light. Okay, so is he just going to do a little quick? Don't see reaction. Yeah, so he's, he's just going to put a UV light, light through it. Yeah. And he's he's going to fire the cork. Different lights. He's fire the cork. Still no reaction. It's a red laser. Going to flex our LED collection. We've got orange light. Shorter wavelength, higher energy yellow light moving up the energy scale i've got green light still no tension it's killing me i know fascinating how many freaking flashlights does he have <laughs> he's got now at least five because one of them has to work that looks like the uv maybe now as soon as the uv goes it, 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 and we're still getting no reaction now moving to blue light. That was halogen full spectrum, looks no like. Reaction. And finally, ultraviolet. And we see that the ultraviolet light causes an almost immediate reaction. I think he'd run the risk of shattered glass in his face, but Well, it depends on the quality of the Here we have the product of oh. reaction of hydrogen and chlorine in the form of Oh, and he did slow-mo. Awesome. Which, in the humidity of the lecture hall, causes a big old cloud to form. Oh, well, he's protected from COVID, at least. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so, you know, take hydrogen, take oxygen, put it under high pressure. Line, you know, get one of those uh, welding 
Um, Real bright ultraviolet, lots of ultraviolet, but ultraviolet LEDs or something. Maybe you just need one, right? But have it under oxygen and chlorine under super high pressure. See what it does. I'm going to see what you do next week when you tell us that the FBI called you again. <laughs> I've spoken to him about this. See, Mr. McCarran, I thought we had a conversation about this a few years ago. and uh... You know what was funny, right? Well, after, considering after... it's on YouTube, it's not our fault. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there, right? But um, the... So they put him in prison, right? <laughs> he just... It's that Philly fucking prison, I think. Imagine what that's like. And he just starts telling all the people how to make this device. Not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want to say I, I have memories of them trying to use chlorine gas as explosive in Iraq. Hmm. And I just, I was like, did, did they get through and try it i i re just i thought i recalled the headlines about chlorine gas meaning like a uh you know a tipped warhead that had a chlorine gas canister and when it hit it would certainly you know do kinetic nah, damage was, to buildings was, but then it would release a gas cloud it was more it was more tank igniting the chlorine okay okay yeah. All right. so uh, those uh Sand, uh, you know what? Didn't get it right. They didn't get the chemistry right. Probably. Hey, those prob are your people now. Nice. <laughs> but it's such a it's such a crazy in story, your brave man. new Japanese world, <laughs> whatever whatever world that is. By the way, is Charles has Charles been going to the hell spa? He's looking so much healthier than he did. Maybe it's just all the summer sunshine and just uh, got him. Got him on the right track. That's all. We just needed. Uh, yeah, yeah. A bit of a nudge and. Uh, tell me, you, you're, you're, you know, you're a clinical observer. Uh, tell me, what is his diet like? Is he, uh, is he a pig or is he eat like a bird? Uh, what, what is his no, diet been like since he's, he's been there? Um, he'll eat anything, uh, but he, he's okay. doing a lot of activity. And walking. Yeah, gotcha. E even though gotcha. he's been sort of post-viral, um, uh -huh. and I think. I think he should have rested more after he got COVID. Oh. Yep. But um, he was just wanting to walk and explore, and um, but you know he's he's looking way way better, and um, good. He needed the the break, and uh, yeah. Look, man, he's uh, <laughs> he's one of the best assets for us. That's renegades have right now. Yeah, and precious cargo, the two of you in a car together. So look both ways before you t you pull out. Okay, yeah. just uh, I I uh, you know I don't like to give those thoughts energy. I don't like to you know suggest or or perpetuate possibilities like that. But uh, just you know just <clears throat> you know you you're I think you have good instincts. So yeah, I uh, just. 
Well, there you go. Play with the kitty. Um, so it's been over three hours, and um, we, I think, have some good ideas about at least one future discussion and who we can bring into that so that it's, uh, it's high octane. Mm-hmm. And anything, anything takeaway on today's uh, stream? If, if I, so let me, let me do this. We'll try and maybe we'll, we'll close it like this. Um, I'm, I'll, play, I'll play George. I'm George Webb. Uh, I have some data. Again, unfortunately, I did not. I know we weren't sharing anything in a space, and we didn't see what the, what the data is. But I've got some kind of data, and I have a um, a real concern that there's been a whole lot of uh, contamination in public health or deployed or however, whether it was biowarfare or accidental, whatnot. Where should I go in the scientific path, Kevin? To confirm or deny that where how do i start vetting that hypothesis um so you would start um sequencing your Mm -hmm. whatever you think is contaminated um there will be there there will be off-the-shelf tests for that because because it's a known problem right oh yeah if, if they've got like the home HIV in, test. Yeah, in, in the tissue bank and they've they've got other other cultures. Um it would be I'll bet would, there's a hella assay on the ATT uh, ATCC site. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. we could we could order one right now. So yeah. okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And okay, so you don't have to go then to the extremely expensive full genetic sequencing. We're not looking for every gene in the vaccine product. Um, we're looking for a specific marker. Yeah. And there's an assay specific to that. All right. Yeah. Okay. And and how many samples would you, uh, I mean, obviously we've got at least four brands, you know, if we're counting the Russian brand. Um, uh, but how how many samples would you be looking at before, if you found some positive results, um, you wouldn't discount it as um, a variation? Um. Yeah, again, you don't know. So, you know, it seems like with the SV40 contamination, every vial that's been tested so far has it. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. the the issue around the SV40 insert is that in their EMA documents, they list it as a potential known contaminant. And their... Um, their levels vary. There's an 800 fold difference that they're prepared to accept in in their vials. Um, okay. So you know the the fact that Kevin found it, it just may just mean that it was in the the specs for the for the vaccine. Um, I didn't realize that there were any primate materials in anything but the AstraZeneca um, product because I knew it's a, a simian adenoviral vector. Right. So I would have. I was actually saying, "Hey, adenovirus from an you know from a primate. Uh, there's at least a possibility of an SV40 footprint here." Um, months and months and months ago, and I you know I I didn't I didn't go and get files and try to do testing on my on my desk. Um, but I, I was concerned about that. So, okay, so we see a consistent, on the SV40 side, we see a consistent result. In Pfizer. Um, in Pfizer. In Pfizer. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. 
and uh, then it would be it would be and it's and it's disclosed in their materials okay got it yeah but it's not written in the inserts right of course not they don't tell you that there's a risk of um there being well and you know what's the plasmid from it's from their expression system which is bacteria right they they need to make lots and lots of it and so a bacteria is the I guess the cheap and dirty way of doing it and you know the it's the soil it's the substrate basically yeah yeah okay. and you know the I, the question would would be <clears throat> what um what levels are dangerous right and i'm not sure well if it was me i i don't want any thank you <laughs> i'd rather yeah, now if you had no native they i've heard it referred to recently i've read so many sb40 papers in the last three weeks i'm, I'm cross-eyed but i've referred to it as native SI, actually, native SV40. Um, uh, if you had no native SV40 latent infection in the cells, you'd never had the sugar cube. You'd never had some kind of an exposure to somebody else who had it, which is another way you can acquire SV40. Um, then you're, you're talking about would that promoter be of? There's all kinds of junk DNA, and if the promoter is the fuse for a dynamite of the full sleeping latent you know, nucleo nucleoid uh, DNA of SV40 to wake it up, and there's nothing to wake up, the fuse does nothing. It just fizzles out, right? Um, Potentially. But that, you know, the, the main concern would be, is there functional double-stranded DNA of the plasmid that can express spike essentially indefinitely? And... I'm not sure that the tests have been done with that. And I, I'm, how much do you really need? Where, where, where have the tests been done to demonstrate that this isn't a problem, right? My, prior to SARS, the, it, the issue around gene therapy, what was these concerns around the vector that you would use and the potential for putting in um, genes that could potentially um, cause problems further down the line. Um, it was it was such a well known and well regulated problem that the it was just well in my in my discipline it was just like they would never do it. You would never risk um, using it. It's a given. It's just a yeah. It's not even a risk. It's a certainty. So don't. I even, mean, you can do uh, experiments that, that with night. it for sure. Yeah. And that's, we do that all the time. But any animal that I would do that to is treated differently. That's considered a GMO animal now. Has to be disposed of differently, has to be housed differently. All sorts of rules came, in, came into play once you started to um, transfect animals. And I don't know, they've, they've just gone and made a quantum jump with respect to what it is that they're they've allowed i mean the cell 
itself. Don't think would be, well, you would have to put it in at the end of the production process, right? Because there's going to be so much filtering done that anything that's the size of a cell would just, would just get taken out. So you were, if you wanted to put a healer cell in, and then you have to hope that the healer cell is um, going to survive the environment that you put it in, and that just, if it's a healthy immune system, healthy animal, human, mm -hmm. um, it, it wouldn't... There's a mounted immune response. Yeah, yeah. And so if you've got to get past that, then, you know, if it's going to then start causing problems and then, and then you would have to, um, you would have to demonstrate that any tumor that you were pulling out. So like tumors post polio vaccine with SV40 contamination, they find SV40 in those tumors, yes. right? And yes. Um, and in, in as late as 2003, they took frozen stores of period product of biological products from the 50s that had the original SV40 contamination so that they could do uh, genotyping. And, and they found the different, they found three different strains in the one paper that I just read um, in those samples. Uh, and and didn't you know they didn't report anything else that was a novel feature or you know really remarkable um, in the product beyond that they were able to give it an exact subtype. Um, but yeah, it's it's been confirmed then and now you know. But yeah. but coming back to coming back to Hella, I don't know enough about the mechanisms of Hella in. Um, you know, is it a, is it a pyogenic risk? Is is there no amount too small that's too much, um, or is it a is it about the fitness and the capability of the cell itself getting through whatever that pharma production process is and being viable to do its dirty trick once it makes it into the bloodstream? I I'm I'm a, a beginner with Hella as far as its mechanisms. So yeah, you know my. Just from my experience, um, the a cell itself, mm -hmm. unless it's um, you know, bacteria, single single cell organism, it's gonna is gonna struggle. And basically, you you're saying you're gonna put in healer cell, and you're gonna get a healer cell tumor, and I would make the presumption that that would be they would sequence it and see it like they do most uh, all tumors nowadays they'll mm -hmm. genotype um well have we had any um data that we've seen from pathologists discussing turbo cancer getting down into the assay level details on their podcast well, we they generally don't we haven't seen anything right now with respect mm -hmm. to SV40 either, right? We're just on this ah. um, upturn. And we Finding don't the promoter. Yeah. And, you know, I'm. Charles stated it very eloquently the other day that um, we already have multiple oncogenic mechanisms that we can look at, including 
immune suppression baked into spike from wherever you get it, the virus. And that's enough to cause, theoretically, um, some effect on cancers, right? The, the spike protein itself has a nuclear localization signal. And that, that paper that came out in Frontiers is a very, very important paper. And that the nuclear localization signal is part of the furin cleavage site and the preceding four or five amino acids before it. And not only that, at a peptide level, but also at a nucleotide level, they both act as so, uh, both expression levels. They they're able to get into the cell nucleus. I I would we have to dismiss that first as a possibility versus the um i'm not saying you know don't look for healer cells you can go um i mean it, it would be routine to check it's not like it's a hard thing to do well we would go after the pathologist wouldn't we i mean we would be seeking out people that are actively doing labs on biopsy mm. Mm. And uh, and and deciding which proteins to test for because you're not going to find 100% of the things you don't run the test for. Mm, yeah. Um. That's that's something that you know another another big I think gap in public perception about cause of death, what we know about pathological science versus just what's what check boxes did they tick on the sheet when they sent the tissue samples off to the lab. Yeah. Um. It's there's a gap. So, um, I'm just going to try and pull that um, paper up. SARS itself, the spike protein. Um. So this could very well be, um, uh, we're looking at its capability to enter the cell nucleus and potentially go latent if we're looking at uh, you know, a, a possible relationship to long COVID. Mm. Um, but rewriting the cell nucleus uh, or rewriting the cell's DNA to begin with and turning it into a spike factory is the first offense, clearly. Yes, that, uh, that, that would be my um, first stop, right? And it's literally the abstract... SARS causes sphere pathology, yes, yes, yes. The spike protein appears to be a major pathogenic factor that contributes to unique pathogenesis. We agree. Although the S protein is a surface transmembrane type 1 glycoprotein, it has been predicted to be translocated into the nucleus due to the novel nuclear localization signal, PRRARSV, which is the, essentially the furin cleavage site and a, the couple of amino acids either side. Uh, which is absent from the S protein of other coronaviruses. Indeed, S proteins translate into the nucleus in SARS-CoV-2 infected cells. To our surprise, S mRNAs also translocate into the nucleus. S mRNA co-localizes with S protein, aiding nuclear translocation of mRNA. While nuclear translocation of nuclear protein has been shown in many coronaviruses, the nuclear translocation of both S mRNA and S protein reveals a novel pathogenic feature. 
And I would make the presumption that the um, vaccines do the same as well. That th this this would be where I would look first, and yeah, the, all, all these people that are getting these tumors now need to be looking for this. Then look for SV forty. That's then... where SV forty lies quietly as well. So yes, you're definitely it's it's not looking good. So it, it has the capability, uh, ha and it. I would assume this paper is is saying that they've demonstrated this, or oh, yeah, are yeah. they observing it? Yeah, they've. they've uh, okay. Okay. Got that. There's the storage. Um. That that for me is the first place to look, and once okay. once uh, once you've got past the nucleus like that, um. All bets are off, especially especially as the peptide is so cytotoxic. How many pathologists do we know? Not many. But... It's all you got to say. Okay, raccoons, we need a pathologist or two or three, um, and I'll I'll start uh, uh, sniffing around on the Twitter and see. Um, I think there's a couple that follow me. I don't think I've had a pathologist to one of my study groups for a while. I've had a couple, and they're they're always fascinating because they can sure throw a monkey wrench and you know they're like yeah. you start you yeah. want to grapple with someone at the microscopic level. It's it's a pathology. They know their shit. Um, but uh, even that like would be 3D good. Deconstruction, yeah. kind of focal reconstruction. So th this yeah. is where um, I would be looking. Um, okay. Anything, you know. Of course, if you don't find that, then you start looking for other stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it may it may just be um, uh, an immune assault, right? The immune system gets out of whack, and it's not dealing with um, emergent tumors like it normally would. And if you've already been diagnosed, and I mean, I'm. I have to, not that I have to believe, but I mean, I'm, I'm, believe, not believe, that the data with respect to increase in cancers looks highly significant. And we have to match that up with sustained increases in all cause mortality. Um, and, you know, we know can see in the data where the deaths are happening yes it's blood cardiovascular that's not a disorder. power grab that's that's not um geopolitics it certainly is seems connected to it but that is uh those are those are living anecdotes um or or deceased and that's the reality that we want to stay grounded in is what's happening in the body who is qualified to tell us precisely what's happening um, and who can we coax, even if it's under uh, the guise of, a, of a, an avatar, um, to, to share their information. I mean, I've seen a couple of pathologists uh, on, on you know, extended interview giving some serious information. So I think that we don't have to, um, to go far to find um, some, someone to have a good conversation with.
Oh, um, and there's got to already be some evidence about this. There's got to already be some data. It's not like we have to convince someone to go on a secret mission. We should be asking, where can we find um, test data on this, even if it's just ambig uh, you know, uh, uh, what do they call it, blinded or masked to the zip code level or whatever. Mm. We don't need names. We're not, we're not doing an audit of um, the death certificates. We want to look at tests for these proteins, and are they doing them, and are they finding them? And my feeling right now is it's just that they're like, quick, get them in the crematorium, get them out of here. Yes. Yeah. Well, we saw them with the mass grave on Staten Island, which was uh, right. Well, really, you know, they, they, really they would be acute phases. It's these. It's this um, yeah. intermediate and long phase now that we have to see. We, and we don't know how much that's going to impact people. You know, it may just stay at ten percent, but ten percent is still. You know, when you're dealing with hundreds of millions, the of, planet. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, significant chunk out of the and especially if it's hitting um younger people you know maybe they were destined to get um cancer but it's just they're getting it 20 years younger than they were supposed to so as a, as as definitely you know me i'm the i'm your you know historian versus the the bench scientist um but um i i would say this uh, if we if we're still we've got folks on listening from uh, the George clan, um, I'm very interested to understand what has been found and uh, to to really you know dig into any of those details that become available to us as far as the materials or or news that George has been sharing. Um, and then uh, the other side of me that's very very uh, sign of the automatic doubter. Uh, wants to stay very grounded on what we were just focused on, and that's what is hard evidence, and that's literally testing and pathology interpretation. We need uh, to get grounded in that space to figure out um, what is this aspect of the cancer component in, in public health right now, and, and what's at the root of it, um, and, and I'm and not going to jump to any conclusion. I would say what's on my screen right now yeah. be playing a very big part and okay. you know <laughs> it will take well in my mind it will take decades of research and if they don't want you to do it it's going to be yeah. hard to get the samples it's going to be hard to publish them it's going to you're going to find resistance at every level and so again this is why we sort of take the approach of well just open access the discussions and you know, try to keep them as, as grounded as possible. Yeah. Um, and let's say that's, there's, there's your main culprit on the screen right there. Um, I, well, or suspect, I would say. And well, I'm going to continue to, um, I'm going to follow up with uh, Judith Ferry Baker who uh, just finished a, a move. I don't know where she's moved on the map, if she's moved in Florida or she's moved to another state. But I've seen her pop up um, recently since the end of the month. And that means that she's kind of plugged back in. She got attacked. She got, um, she got hacked. 
and uh, she has a lot of, uh, I don't know if they're unique, but very difficult to find volumes from her scientific publication career, because of course she's scrubbed. You can't find anything, you know, in her compendium um, up on PMID. So she is going to share that information, and we're going to go back and, and basically listen to an accounting of what occurred at the SV40 sort of ground zero, uh, what was her perspective as an investigator. She was not at the Cold Spring Harbor meeting, so she doesn't have those insights. I'm, I'm kind of glad she wasn't. That's probably, probably you know, why she's still alive. Uh, she said many of the scientists in that group are gone. They, they died in uh, dubious circumstances. And you and I have looked at the one from Dr. Mary's monkey. Um, but that'll be one of the things that I, I continue to do kind of on the sidetrack um, on the SV40 piece uh, to help get that stuff on the record. Because I think it's a very important part of this long track that we need to get you know, get the get the wedge underneath the NIH and tip it over um, and see what crawls out from underneath, because we know as Americans that they're in bed with the Defense Department. They are they are co-chaired by the Defense Department. And clearly from what just came out about the COVID operation, um, it is not a public health operation that is not public health defense and research. That is something very different. So, you know, we, we know that we have to keep going after the institutional problem and that it, that isn't going to be solved by, um, you know, by having a podcast. It's going to be a long slog and it's going to take state level activities and federal right, activities. It's, it's got to have um, to come down to whistleblowers will eventually have to come out. Well, Judith is one of those. Mm. Getting her recorded and getting her, you know, she said Kennedy knows Kennedy, that she said she'd be willing to get on a stream with Kennedy and Mikevitz. And that he's already fully familiar with her material. She should do it. Anyway, anyway we should get everything well. on record as much as we can. So, all right. Um, I see uh, Karma Doc saying, when I come to the States, Kev, um, I'll try and make that as soon as possible. Um, Charles has got a few weeks left here still, so um, I'll 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 speak to you offline. I've got to go lay down. I've been um awake up all night. Yeah. Um. So speak to I'll speak to everyone later. I'll try and stream later. Um. Myself and Charles were thinking of doing a stream, but the you know I'm. Very much in, like I said, Charles said it far better than I did, which is so many oncogenic candidates on SARS. And that would, you have to, have to examine those first. A, a paper like this, not good. And did you put that in the general chat? I can do. If you would, I can't keep up on everything and keep reading all of these horrifying uh, primate papers, but I try to read the key items that you guys are talking about. So that was a good stream today. I enjoyed the space, and you know that that um, restriction paper. It's an important paper. I mean, we have to, you know. There was the question about, well, you know, what, what, what is it helping us to look at the molecular biology? 
Well, you want to know what they're firing at you, right? You want, you want to know things like nuclear localization signals, amyloidogenic epitopes, that type of thing. Um, long, long-term disease mechanisms that, you know, people, you know, people forget about the initial assault. Think they got through it, and something, something then pops up. Maybe they wouldn't have. People had. are fatigued with these details. Yeah, even the ones that have the chops for it, we're all getting a little bit numb. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, kids, this is the moment when Peter Duesberg arrived in my childhood, and I watched older men. I I was still a young teenager, you know. I mean, I. He hit the scene. I, I well, I was I was in my my mid to late teens at that point. But um, he he was uh, a Pied Piper, very very good uh, figure of speech, Kevin. And everybody that was exhausted with safe sex, with all of the uncomfortable drama of asking each other, "Are you positive? Have you been tested?" All of that stuff. Um, they were they welcomed it with open arms. There's no virus. This has all been a psyop. It was all AZT, and we know we're not going to take AZT, so we're fine. And people went on their way, tra la 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 la. And sure as shit, they were wrong. And that's exactly the the risk that I see happening here. If there's anything that I can contribute in this discussion, it's to emphasize these kinds of parallels. Um, and people getting exhausted with hearing the bad news about what COVID is doing in different disease presentations uh, doesn't change the fact that it's doing it just because it's horrible. And you're like, how can this be happening in my life? And why us? And why now? I'm sorry, but it is. And if we get exhausted with the, the fine details of the microbiology, we're going to miss an opportunity to potentially extend our lives or have an interventional therapy that's, that does something. You know, we're finding out dandelion, garlic, cannabis, you know, all, you know, pine tea have all of these inhibiting molecules that block, you know, very much like, uh, you know, like just a, a, a protease inhibitor. It blocks the binding capability of the spike. Um, and those things just are coming out, you know, coming out of the closet, just uh, left and right. But they're, they're fully legitimate. And we are, we're getting a bigger and bigger uh, arsenal to protect ourselves in a way that is tonic that isn't toxic, that isn't pharma dependent. And it doesn't mean we've got to spend $85 a month on a prescription of something. It's things that we could bake into our diet. So I, I just want to, you know, end on that point is folks were, you know, just take a rest, take a breath if it's too much, but come back to the details because the devil's in the details. And the people that I know that survived AIDS who got positive in the 80s and made it past that 1995 threshold of the 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 cocktail being available uh the you know multiple pills um they did it by paying attention and making every effort and taking precautions and reading i've i've got some original handwritten material from a couple people that survived from they think they got positive in the early 80s and they made it until the 20 teens um, so, you know, and none of it is, none of it's, you know, voodoo magic. It's, it's all very, very clear phytotherapies. So I just want you guys to take heart and, um, don't get swept away that something, you know, don't follow an explainer, keep questioning things, keep doubting things like Kevin and I do and, um, and keep fighting. Yep. Good, 
place I'm up brains <laughs> no you've been up no no good place to end it okay. yeah it's... yeah yeah all right I can't remember what I'm calling you on discord uh we are on the discord this time so yeah right. um uh, have a good sleep and uh everybody thank you for uh hanging in there with us yes thank you much appreciate it everyone that sent a donor it means a lot all right later i'm out of here folks see you in the next one bro you don't know how angry i am you do I'm like i was just leaving for fucking work you do not understand how fucking pissed off after reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these cappers! I will fucking kill each fucking capper! I swear! <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Fuck these cappers! No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever flow through my fucking blood blood! Never! No! I will fucking die! Fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. All them five. This guy. Send check forty-five thousand. Turn this. Let up! 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 Let up